Hey there, Mavericks. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast. We're a podcast dedicated to discussing manga as both a medium and as an industry. I'm your host, Love Ramiyasha, and today we've got a Loda conversation on this year's Otakon. That's right, once again, we attended Otakon with our good friends from Weekly Shingokan Edition, the Kaki and Cheka, and recorded this podcast to recap the event. And boy, was this Otakon eventful! This was the most attended Otakon ever, boasting a record attendance of over 40,000 attendees, a 50% increase in attendance over 2021, which was about 25,545 unique memberships. So yeah, there were a lot more people at Otakon this year, and boy did we feel it, and how packed the halls were, and boy, we are definitely going to talk about all that, but there was good reason for this to be such a big Otakon, because there were some big casting features at the con this year, including voice actor power couple Toshi Furukawa and Shinokakinuma, seasoned voice actress Maria Ize, Yo Yoshinari and Hiromi Wakabayashi of Studio Trigger, the creative team behind My Team Romantic Kami Safu, Yoshihiro Watanabe of Storyo Orange, Motonobu Hori, director of Carol Tuesday and Supergroups, and so, so many more incredible people, including great fan room panels from Manager Appears, Corey and Helen from the Taiku Podcast, and Megan from the Manga Test Drive, and big industry panels from companies like Denpa, Oski, High Dive, and Iskatech, including premier showings of those Kaiji and Gunbuster for the latter two companies. And in addition to attending panels and hanging around the con, we also conducted interviews with Mari Ise for Akon Kakinuma, Yoshiro Watanabe, and the Studio Trigger team, which were incredible opportunities that we have a lot to say about. And I'm including the audio of my interview with Maria Ize before the main discussion of this podcast, as well as the interview with Furukawa and Kakinuma for an upcoming Lone Squad podcast episode. And you can check out the transcripts of all our interviews on our website, mangamaris.com, as we continue to publish them. Before we get into the interview, though, I just wanted to recommend a few other outlets this Otakon coverage as part of my community shoutouts for this episode. For more podcast coverage, check out the Pods of Anime World Order, Dude You Remember Macross, the No Name Anime Show, and the Reverse Thieves. The former duo groups, notably talking about their old experience hosting panels at the con, as well as their con experiences overall. For more interviews, check out Kaiyo Scanline Media's interviews with composers Kaduwada and Yuki Yashi, and streamer and singer Kaho Shibuya, as well as Anifan's interviews with Zeno Robinson and Motunobuhori, which both happen to dig into issues of diversity and representation in the anime industry. ANN also has interviews with Toshi Hurukawa and Shiro Kakinuma, as well as Yuki Hayashi and Kawawada, and have some reports on Toshi Hurukawa and Shiro Kakinuma's panels, Mari Easy's panel, Rolling Quartz's panel, and they had a review of the Project Echo 2 remaster, also premiered at Otakon this year. And finally, for overall convention coverage, check out pieces by Dave of Games of Robo and Seka for Weekly Shikakakan Edition, and speaking of Weekly Shikakakan Edition's common reports, you should also check out Sakaki's report on Crunchyroll Expo 2022, which sounded like an equally fun and eventful time, if not quite as busy. And finally, check out Otakon's own highlights digital reel of some of the most memorable moments of the con. But before you check out all those other fine folks' coverage of Otakon out, Take a listen to ours, starting off with my interview with Marise, s'il vous plaît. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, what inspired you to become a voice actress? And what were your first thoughts? How did you break into the industry? えっと、アニメの声優さんが出られてたんですよね。で、あの、パンフレットを買って、あの、ロビー悪いてたら、そのパンフレットに載っていたプロデューサーの、ま、顔写真が載ってそのプロデューサーがロビーにいたんですよ。で、あ
そのハンターハンターの世界をキャラクターの視点から通してその体験することでいや見えてくる景色が変わるキャラクターに対する思いも変わってきてあのすごくこう辛くなることの方が多かったですねだからハンターハンターを演じていたの3年間演じてたんですけど3年間すごい結構辛くて苦しくてでもそれは別にキロアの性格が暗いからとか彼がものすごくこうなんだろうクールだからとかじゃなくてむしろ彼はとっても優しくて仲間のために自分の身をなんだろう犠牲にできるぐらいけなげなんですよねだからいつもゴンの心配をしてたり誰か仲間のために戦ってるからそれですごい苦しかったです You are totally right especially with Hunter Hunter when I think about that piece my perspective of reading it as a fan of the manga versus when I actually played the role of Kibula, which I didn't even think was, you know, in my wildest dreams was something that I would be doing as someone who originally was reading the manga work.、Um, looking at the world of Hunter Hunter through Kibula's eyes, it was totally a different feeling、um, as opposed to reading the work as a fan. Not, generally, his outlook at the world, it's, it's a very dark and cold world to him. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he himself thinks,、uh, thinks that. I mean, he's a very kind and sweet person, so he's not necessarily cold or shut off. It's just kind of the way that the world, the, the world of Hunter x Hunter kind of his place in it.、Um, and as you know, he's a very, very、uh, kind hearted character and really cares about his friends and willing to sacrifice him for his friends. So, As you mentioned, totally different、um, the experience of reading it just as a fan and then looking at the world of Hunter x Hunter from Kilo's eyes. Wonderful. And continuing on the story of Hunter x Hunter, you know, you and the Green Hansan, you seem to have like a very close friendship, much like your characters from Kilo. I know you're both very passionate fans of the series, so I was just wondering what are the thoughts of your camaraderie with Miss Han、uh, and the bond you share through your work on the series? あのハンターハンターに関して、まあ、裏側でハンさん、ハンメグミとすごく仲が良くて、その2人のなんか優勝が、まあ、ちょっとアニメの関係性も膨らませている面はありますでしょうか。あどうだろう、なんかそのゴン、ゴンを演じているのがそのハンメグミちゃんなんですけど。作品を実はアフレコしているときはなんかこうプライベートで会うっていうことは実はあんまりなくてアフレコで、まあ、会えるしどうせだから作品が終わってからなんですよね私とハメグミちゃんがすごくこうプライベートで会ったり仲良くなれたのはなんかこうアフレコしているときはやっぱりこうゴンとキルバっていう立場2人の関係性でいるからなんだろうなこう男同士の友情みたいな。感じだったのでこうなんだろうな友達っていうよりかは背中を預けられる仲間戦友みたいな意識が現実の世界でも2人はそういう関係を持っているああそうですねうんだからそういうアニメでそういう経験があって現実ではそうちょっと真似てるっていうか鏡となっているっていうああなのかなあのねでもそうだ難しいな本当のこと言うとアフレコしている時はあのそこまであんまりなんかなんだろうめちゃくちゃ仲がいいっていうわけじゃなくてむしろそのアフレコ終わってからの方が仲がいいんですよね。うんうんうんうん、であんまりや,やってる演じてる時は
っぱそのキャラクターの気持ちの方が強いからうん普通の友達としての友情を築くのは難しかったああだから終わってそのがあったからなんかもう「ハメグミちゃん」を見るとやっぱゴーンを思い出しちゃうからどうしてもこうちょっと辛くなっちゃう辛くなってるでもうんおーそういや、as you were mentioning、um, She became friends with Megumi kind of like through the recording of the piece. And it's interesting because during the period that they were working together on the piece, they kind of fell into the relationship of the two characters naturally.、Um, and then as a result of that close work on the series, they became friends in real life. But even so, it feels to a certain extent. A little bit like the relationship there is mirrored upon their relationship in real life.、Um, in the sense that, you know, when she looks at Megumi, she kind of thinks of Gon and kind of thinks of some of the characters' situations and things that are, are a little bit heavy and, and, and hard to deal with. But it's, it's very interesting because their relationship in the real world is to voice actresses. Um, is kind of different from the two boys, young adolescent boys' relationship. So they're, it's, they're very different, but at the same time, when they're spending time together, she kind of will think、um, about Gon or about the character while they're hanging out.、Awesome. That's really interesting. Actually, I remember、uh, in your interview on Rinshi at Kodachan, you mentioned a fight you had in this Hanwan when. You start to kind of mess up, oh, you're like acting as your characters during that. And that got me really interested. It's like, how often do you find yourself seeing the boundaries between yourself and the roles you play kind of blur like that、uh, in any other circumstances or other roles as well? And when, when was it? Have...、Uh, Rinshi Ekotachan.、Uh, Miss Ize played Ekotachan on episode 8. キロアとゴンの関係性を思い出したりとかすることがあったりとかしてて、それ他の役に対してそういうことはあったりとかするんですか？う,うんあんまりないかな。ちょっとやっぱゴンとキルは特別は特別だし、やっぱ3年間っていう長いスパンで演じていたからこそだったんじゃないですかね。だいたい他のアニメってやっぱワンクール3ヶ月とかで長くてもツークールとかで終わっちゃうから3年連続っていうのはなかなかないですか？ Not necessarily. She doesn't really see it with other characters. Part of the reason was because they spent three years creating Hunter x Hunter, so they spent a lot of time together.、Um, whereas most other animes that she works on, it's usually only three months of recording, so you don't really have that deep connection or relationship. And as you know, there's really something special about the relationship between Kukilo and, and Gon that, that kind of、um, is different.、Um, so she doesn't really have that experience with other characters she's played. To speak about another character you spent many years playing, Kimmel,、uh, you were a part of the generation who grew up in Pokemon, so I was wondering how did it feel to join the main cast in the series during the XY years playing Eureka? And what was your favorite experience being a part of the show and surprising her recently in the Clemens series? 
まあ、自分が子供の頃ポケモンを見たり見たりとかしたと思うんですから、うんうん、なんかあのメインキャストの,あの XY でメインキャストのゆりかっていうキャラをいただいた時にあのどういう感じだったのでしょうかえものすごく嬉しかったですえあのポケモンのなんだろうサトシ主人公のサトシたちと一緒に旅ができるんだと思ってそれはもうめちゃくちゃ嬉しかったですしその日本の,そのアニメ作品の中でもやっぱポケモンってものすごくこう歴史のある作品なのでその作品にメインで、ね、関われるっていうことはものすごく光栄名誉なことなんですよだからうんすごい嬉しかったですね、um, yes. So, like, as you were mentioning, you know, knowing the series so well, and then being one of the main characters that gets to go on adventures with Satoshi as Yurika,、um, was, you know, really something I was very happy about. But also, when you think about Pokemon and its place within the entire anime industry in Japan,、um, it's actually a huge honor as well to be able to play that role. Wow.、Um. And I really like the character, and Arita's running gag of proposing to girls for Citron and like adding a little su loop at the end.
呼ばれるシーンがもう目白押しもずっと続くのでセカンドシーズンはあの言えないんですけどそのバトルシーン FF とそのなんていうの剣道剣道でキャラクターがああそうですそのあえいい大丈夫そのバトルシーンとかはすごく、まあ、見どころかなと思います um, so as... You know, I was a huge fan of the series beforehand, but JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is a series that all voice actors want to be a part of. Part of the reason is because there's so much energy and that's needed in the recording process. And to get the role, I was so happy and so honored. And as you know, the second season is coming out in October on Netflix. And really, in the second half, you see so many、uh, famous, like really famous scenes for the character FF. Uh, particularly the fight with Kenzo as well. So I really、um, am so excited for fans to finally see all of these really famous scenes for FF in the second half of the season. Boy, awesome.、Uh, do I have time for one more?、Uh, all right, we're out of time. Thank you so much. Thank you. A A A. It was a great three day weekend as we had a good time coming back to Otakon for our second ever Otakon. And a lot happened. It was a very busy con. And let's just start off with our overall impressions of the con and how things were handled this year. I think things were handled better. Like, especially since. Like, unlike last year, where obviously the con was on、um, life support, so there were a lot, lot, lot less people, a lot less guests. I'd say overall, I mean, the first day we got in, we got, well, no, we got our, we got our、um, wristbands for COVID and our badges on Thursday. And that was、yes. pretty much, it was a long line, but once we got in, we got in, we got out. Yes,、so. it's worth noting that we also had some press privileges where we could just、mm. go up and tell them, hey, we're press. We were told that. You know, we can just go talk to you in the line and get our wristbands. And then 
get in, not wait in a line to get into the center to go get our badges. It was a very quick process, but definitely those lines this year were pretty long to get into the center, particularly on Friday. And lines inside the con were pretty long to get into the dealer's room. So it put a point where apparently the line to the dealer's room extended to the outside. So it was an interesting thing in terms of the crowd of people that came this year and like how lines were escalated both on Friday and Saturday to get in and then to get to the dealer's room. So how do we feel in general about the line management as people who, you know, we have the blessing of not having to wait in many lines? I'd say for the most part, the line management was fine. I, I've heard mixed things about the autographs area. Autographs area, Jacka can speak to as someone who waited two and a half hours to yeah. get her autograph. Um, I mean, I'm not 100% sure what they did there. Uh, because I feel like they also started kind of late, because I do remember... Um, I was in the overflow, even though I showed up a half hour early, like, it was already filling up pretty fast, and then, um, it was about, it was supposed to start at 2 o'clock, end at 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock came around, and I feel like nobody was moving, and then they started sending people, like, batches at a time, and it, it was very long pauses between each batch, and then finally, I think... I text you I think about an hour, no, yeah, I think, like, right at 3 o'clock, or just after 3 o'clock, they finally moved, like, the overflow people into the, like, the main area, and then, like, that one, I feel like it started going faster, but, I mean, I, I got my signature anyway, and they actually, Furukawa and his wife actually- Kaki Dumas. Yes. Sorry, I don't know why I keep forgetting her name. I feel so bad. Anyway, um, they they actually extended it to four. Both of them, you five, could get yeah, signing. yeah, four o'clock. I think yeah, they they went until at least four o'clock, probably mm. four thirty, because I wasn't the last in line. But it's yeah, right. I did eventually get it. So yeah. Yeah, I made it. Yeah, true. <laughs> I, At least, uh, you said it was just, no. It was like a parting the red sea. Just like, yeah. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Talk a little bit more, because you had some observations about how people were trying to line up for you. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, this kind of goes into, like, Saturday, too. But they were... Every time Sakaki and I walked past... There was just a guy like just yelling because people were loitering around the um, autograph area because they were all waiting for Issei to come. And you know, you're only supposed to do it like an hour before they actually start signing. And she, like, obviously she wasn't there yet. And it's like maybe an hour and a half, like just an hour before it was supposed to start. Or no, two hours or an hour and a half before. We start and like honestly, the guy was just getting so fed up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's yeah. like, he's only like, if you're not here for, um, I think like we also had a couple K-pop groups, so like, if we're not here for them or um any of the other people. Get out of line. If you're here for Issei, come back at two thirty. And it's, <laughs> I felt so bad for the guy too. Yeah, because he had to repeat this like yeah. every ten minutes. Honestly, but... like the the crowd was slightly dispersed. 
And then they would come back, or like another group would come back, and it's. And they kept, and then when finally. It was, it was finally 2.30, and like, there were so many people. Yeah, I walked over there and started to get in line, but then like, I, it was a stampede, mm-hmm. and I was just like, that. I mean, it sucks, because I bought my, an, a volume, another copy of Hunter x Hunter Volume 17, specifically for her to sign, but. I'm just like, ah, oh, that's not working. Yeah, I also had something to sign. I mean, I was going to give it to a friend of mine, but uh, I'm just going to tell her, hey, look, you get a free manga. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it is unfortunate, but it definitely seems that if you are planning to get an autograph, at least at Otakon for these big name guests, you should expect to wait in line. If you're not, like, already at the front of the line, you will probably be waiting in line for multiple hours, or at least over an hour. And it's also worth noting that you were only allowed to line up officially an hour before the start time of a signing session. So, really, if you wanted a chance to get in the line even, you needed to arrive right at the start, pretty much, because... I try to attend Furukawa's signings both days, and I arrive perhaps like a half hour before the signing started, and the line was already capped, and there was no potential to join it at any point. Even though on Saturday, there was some insistence, or there was some recommendation from the staffers that, you know, maybe come back in half an hour to 45 minutes. I did. <laughs> no. Neither time that they made that recommendation did the line situation improve. It was just capped. You basically, if you want to get these signings, you gotta be there right at an hour before, and you gotta be among the first in line if you want to get to that line in a speedy manner. And you should really plan to have your day dedicated, <laughs> at least a large chunk of it, to getting your autograph. Because, you know, Again, Jekka, you waiting that line for more than two hours. Yeah. That's a lot of your day. I, again, I I went in a half hour before, so I was lucky to get in line, and then it was supposed to start at two, and then it went overtime until three. I didn't get it until really close to four, so it was mm-hmm. about two and a half hours. Exactly. So, I mean, it's amazing, though, that you got an autograph from them. I know. I like. Kakimuma isn't actually in Conan, but I, I told them, like, you can both sign it anyway. And they actually did write my name, too, so I dedicated Aww, it. Oh, nice. that is really sweet. Would you like to tell them more about the volume? Oh, right. The volume that I chose for Conan is volume 27, which is Yamamura's second case. It's the, the one where the, the case that he shows up in is Ron Conan. Koguro go to a like sort of like a spa resort thing, and then they meet up with Ari, and Ari is like with another guy, and so there's like this whole thing. Like Koguro starts sort of kind of getting jealous, and then obviously there's like a murder. I mean, I won't go too much into it because it's really close to where um, what podcast prevails is. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so there's that, and then. There's like this whole scene of Koguro and Eri, and it's actually really cute. Yamamura shows up, and even Conan just like, oh god, it's this guy from like when Yukiko kind of kidnapped him. Right. <laughs> and then um, uh, 
uh, you suck the look shows up. But yeah, like, he just shows up and it just, he starts going, um, this is when you get to see his fanboy side, too. Right. Because, um, Cobra was there and he's like, oh my god, I love you so much. And, like, I, that's what I kind of admire about him, too. Um, I actually do like Kiramura, even though, like, a lot of people don't, but, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I picked that one because his keyhole yeah. is in the back, too. So, it's, he gets the second case and he gets the keyhole that dedicated to him. Yeah. And I think that was a great choice because yeah. I imagine that not a lot of people probably brought him a movie related answer. Like I so. might have probably been the first because when I handed him the uh, the volume, he said, "Oh, it's Conan." And I was like, "Yeah." yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. I was like, "My Japanese yeah. is crap," but no, I yeah. think that at this con, the roles that Furukawa was supposed to recognize for were Piccolo, Ace, and Ataru for sure. Broke my little uh, my Ataru fan heart a little <laughs> bit, but you know, he is also here in anticipation of superhero coming, where Piccolo is the lead character. And yeah, they brought up cute Piccolo figurine that they showed mm-hmm. off at the panels. That was very cool. But yeah. That was great. But back on the subject of lines, basically kind of the point we were making about all this is that I think that overall staff did a good job managing these lines that were large in volume because there were just so many attendees. I definitely felt that attendance seemed much more dense this year. It was a little more difficult to walk through the convention center, especially on Saturday, where, as we mentioned, there was just this enormous line to get into the dealer's room, which was surprising. But And even in Artist Alley, on Friday and Saturday, it was also a little dense. It was a lot less so on Sunday, I would say. On Sunday, in general, the con seemed a lot scarcer. I think the bigger packed days were Friday and Saturday, and not as many people attended Sunday, maybe, or perhaps just were more scattered on Sunday. But I think that's a good shine of Otakon, you know, kind of regaining a little bit of its, you know, uh, full force there, you know, as we mentioned, it was kind of in a precarious situation last year, and now it seems that there's a lot of uh, more attention attendance. That is a good sign for the con. Uh, in terms of, like, actual staffing, it seems like they were still shorthanded based on comments that uh, one particular person was kind of mentioning before our second panel with Furukawa that was on Sunday. You know, as he was, like, kind of talking to the crowd, he was mentioning, you know, there's still, you know, some staffing, shorting, problems. So they were doing their best with who they had available to them. And, of course, it's, like, still a difficult thing to operate the con under the pandemic conditions. Which also leads us to changes that Olucon made in terms of health mandates this year. Last year, it was notable and a bit of a controversy that there was no real checking for vaccination status, there was a mass requirement, but enforcement was spotty. And that was a level uh, of discomfort for a lot of people. However, this year, I will, you know, they instituted a vaccination checking procedure where you need to be vaccinated, you need to show proof of vaccination to get a wristband that you had to wear during the entire convention. That is a 
pretty standard procedure we saw with Anime NYC last year, and Laura and I saw at San Diego Comic-Con this year. And I think that was a good move. And beyond that, we saw that there was a lot more attention paid to masks being on at all times for the obvious occasions meeting. And I rarely saw people without their masks, without a reason to. And I think that staff did a good job of keeping people on point with that. And in general, attendees, I think, were being responsible about that, too. What were your guys' impressions of how Otakon approached health and safety this year? I thought it was pretty good overall. I didn't see any people that were, like, actively trying to take off their masks, like, outside of, like, eating food and drink. Honestly, I saw less complaints about it than I did at San Diego Comic-Con. And San Diego Comic-Con was already very organized about it. Yes. I think that's a great strength of Otakon this year, is that it seemed very organized. It had a lot of procedures in place, and they did a lot to make the process efficient. One notable change that surprised me was that they didn't really do a back check this year. And we were kind of just in the line and into the con without that one extra step. And I think that made kind of the flow of the line smoother. Which is another thing to mention is that even though these lines are long, generally, at least in terms of getting to the center, it has been remarked upon that the line was moving. It's just in volume it was long. So that's another good thing. Though at the same time, those lines were long for hours, uh, so I don't know. I mean, it was moving at a, a pace, but again, that must speak to attendance, that there were just that many people trying to get into Otakon this year. That, um, that's actually the same thing that happened to us when we went to Portugal last year. Like, they didn't check any of our carry-ons. They pretty much just put stuff there. Like, they didn't tell us to take out laptops or anything. Just told us to put your bags in the, the tray or whatever, and like your shoes and everything, everything out of your pockets, go through, you're good. And then that was it. Like, they had to keep the line going too. There was yeah. Like a lot of- it was weird one time though when we came in together. They asked to check my bag and not yours. Oh, like, yeah, that was, oh. yeah, I don't. Is this in Portugal or? No, 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 this was here. This was okay. here. Like, um, Saturday, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, we mm-hmm. came in together. She has a very full bag. I mean, you've seen I her mean, bag. it's not mm-hmm. too full, but, like, there's definitely stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Compared to my bag, Yeah, it was, slim. like, so flat. Yeah, and then yeah, they were yeah. like, oh, you need to check your bag. And then I was about to go over there, too. And then the guy was like, no, no, no you're good. Just look at him, like, okay. Yeah, I thought that was weird. And I had, like, zero in my bag. I think the only thing I had in my bag at that time was Hunter Hunter Volume 7. Mm-hmm. So that was it. Yeah. So... I mean, just doing random bag checks like TSA does. Yeah, right. Yes. It's like, hold on, this this, this looks kind of weird. Uh, I need to check it. That's the first I've heard. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Need to so check. I mean, as far as going back to the health, like, as far as, like we remember we we had that one person that was talking about how they took off there. Oh <laughs> they, yeah. They took off. There was there. a guy in front of us on Saturday, and like he didn't come with a mask, and I think he only had like a badge, and he didn't have his wristband for the COVID thing. And he was like loudly. Yeah, he was like of- complaining to his friends how like, man, I just went home and I like took it off. Oh, like, dude, if you're gonna be here three days, you gotta keep it on. Yeah, yeah, or, and then he had no mask. And then when he got to the door, they did stop him, like because yeah. yeah. he had no mask on. 
That's a great anecdote. So. So they, yeah, they took that seriously. Yeah, no so. mass, no entry. Yeah. And yeah, it, that's just something you got to keep in mind. You know, these bands they give you, got to keep them on for the weekend. And they'll last. They, they last through water. They're pretty tough. So unless you try to force them out, they're going to stay on you. So don't mess with them and have to go through the rigor and roll and getting those again. Because I think that slowed a lot of people down trying to get into the center on Friday, especially. Yeah, I was also surprised, like, even though it doesn't look very cool, the bands actually do last yeah. quite well. Yeah. Like, I actually struggled to take it off <laughs> yeah. the car right back. Again, they won't tear easily. So you will have to, again, exert effort. So, you know, let them be. Yeah. But, yeah, so I think otherwise in terms of management, I feel like Everything ran pretty smoothly. You know, last year there were communication problems with a certain panel that was an industry panel. There was not any circumstances like that that I was made aware of this year. Everything ran pretty much on time, and communication between other staff members and guests were pretty on point. I think that there was one panel where a panelist was late, but even then communication with the staffers was well done. Any tech issues that seem to be going on were resolved pretty easily. And yeah, I think that the only confusion may have been in our very last panel where there was a confusion about whether we were allowed to take pictures of Trigger's live drawing panel. And even then, I think that was immediately, you know, asked about again and reconfirmed. So I think overall, you know, communication between staff and guests and panelists was really strong. It was a tight ship, and I think the ColdCon ran pretty smoothly, even if there was a lot of stoppage, let's say, in terms of uh, moving through the, the convention at times, or getting to where you want to be at times. Uh, just, again, due to the volume of people there. But, yeah, I mean, there was very much a lot of good reason for people to be there because there was a lot at Otacon this year to look forward to, including some very special industry guests, including a lot of high-profile voice actors like, as we mentioned before, Toshi Furukawa and Shino Kakinuma. Their panel was the first event we were able to attend on Friday, and it was a really fun Q&A panel. Did anyone want to remark upon uh, their thoughts on, you know, seeing these, like, really iconic actors in person. It's also I mean, just weird hearing his voice in, like, proper, like, in your ears. Yeah. Yeah, and to see him go between different voices and his range in real time is just so impressive that he can do just a high last uh, Taro Morgoshi's voice and then do kind of a low, kind of piccolo-esque voice as well. Uh, and he can do that pretty easily. And he remarked, you know, I asked him, like, oh, you know, about like, yeah, all the screaming he's had in his roles. And he remarked that, you know, he doesn't really tire his voice very easily. Uh, he's just trained himself to be able to perform just, you know, with a lot of stamina and flexibility. And that's just, <laughs> we got to see that in real time both at the Q&A panel and also on Sunday's, like, voice acting lessons panel. Also, he and Kaki have such great energy with each other. Yeah. You know they have. <laughs> we can tell that they're uh, 
couple that has known each other for 40 years. Yeah. yeah. We're very closely together. So, yeah, it was just really wonderful to attend their panel. There are a lot of great questions asked, and hopefully the transcripts of those we will provide at a later date, because I did note them down and record them. But, yeah, I mean, Soshio Furukawa, just to kind of get all of his stuff out of the way, I also was given the opportunity to interview him on Saturday, along with Shino Kakinuma-san, and... Uh, again, that was just an amazing opportunity as I'm a fan of his roles uh, and himself as an actor and also Kaki Numa-san's roles as well. She's Naru in Sailor Moon. She played Videl and Pond in Kai. And a host of it also. It was really cool to just be able to talk to them. Unfortunately, you know, kind of due to my own experience, I feel like I mismanaged some of the time I could have had with them, so I didn't get as much time in terms of being able to ask them questions as I wanted, but I'm glad I was able to ask the or Yasser questions specifically that I want to ask them. So, yeah, look forward to that interview transcript being published a little soon. But, yeah, what an amazing opportunity, and just what really kind and really funny, entertaining people. Like, on Sunday's, like, voice lessons panel, like, Kakenuma led kind of as a teacher, because he's, like, kind of a voice acting teacher at ONE Productions. Uh, Furukawa-san is the president. You know, that was a lot of fun. It's, it basically led the entire crowd in just a coaching session of really just how to do different laughs, which is kind of the foundation of what they teach at the school. It's just if you can master different forms of laughter, you can master a lot of different range of flexibility in your acting. So that was a lot of fun to participate in. And the banter between Gakinuma-san and Furukawa-san was a lot of fun, as was hearing him, you know, laugh in different ways and perform lines of all his different roles. <laughs> really, really entertaining. Would you guys like to just remark upon other experiences we had with Furukawa and Gakinuma-san this week? I mean, again, the Q&A, the Q&A was just great to kind of hear how he felt about, like, the difference between Japanese voice acting and U.S. voice acting. Now they're doing something a little more similar to Western, where everybody records their own lives and everything. And I like how Furukawa was very upfront about it, where it's like, yeah, things are a little bit easier this way. But at the same time, this is camaraderie of being there within the studio with his buddies and, you know, being able to bounce off of it. Like, he had an anecdote where he and Sanji's voice actor, uh... Hirata. Yeah, um, Hirata-san, like, they have kind of, like, an inside joke with each other, and I'm sure that's probably one of the things he kind of misses about not being, you know... Yeah. ...to record with everybody like they used to. He also revealed in the voice acting, um, Hirotaka... Hiroaki. Hiroaki, Hiroaki, thank you. (laughs) But, um... Yes, uh, he revealed that, which Jack and I have known because we've all seen Detective Conan people, and they do reveal that they still use paper scripts. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's a thing as well. So that's yeah. something I did. I mean, we knew it, but that was just something I felt like. I thought that was just Conan, but apparently, since he talked about it, it must be more than that. And yeah, very good insights into the yeah. process of uh, recording voiceover. Yeah. yeah, and, like, of course, he's got many years it's almost like almost reflective. Uh, res- yeah. Uh, yeah, like it's a reflex. It's like second nature. Yes. yes. So second nature. You know, and not 
to say too much about him. He's definitely not a young guy anymore. And he's still he's still putting it like he's still voice acting. Like he's able to recall roles just very easily. People are asking him to do lines. He was able to. Granted, you know there are big characters like Ace, where you know yeah. a lot of his lines are pretty iconic. At this point, so yeah, he was certainly asked to perform a number of them. Yes. Yes. I mean, I was kind of surprised that one is made. Yeah, there were a lot of old heads who recognized him for Tarlet. Uh, no one, I mean, no, there were on the first panel, there were, I believe there was someone, or maybe I'm confusing this with actually a panel of his I watched for research uh, before. I definitely felt like there were more Ace in like Piccolo fans yeah. than Atari. Yeah. Which makes sense, but. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that anecdotal guys like from another panel years ago that someone asked him actually to. Perform a line as Ataros asking the first one ever. So I do remember him doing some voices, uh, yeah. some acting as Ataro. Yeah, he, it wasn't really a request, but he would kind of laugh. So yeah, like I mean, Ataro. his yeah. like kind of high pitched, like, <laughs> is very Ataro ish. I mean, he did say yeah. that he liked Ataro since it was closer to his actual voice. Yes, yeah. 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 And yeah, I mean, it's funny because I just recently finished watching Fist of the North Star and he shinned. Yeah, so. he did like Atta to the Taz on that. Yeah. He did it really well, too, to the yeah. point that it was just like, I. Like, he did a really great Kamiya impression. Like, it was yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, oh my god. <laughs> no, I mean, and actually, in our interview with uh, him, he did mention that, like, his favorite Urusei episode was just one where he. Uh, and Kamiya's Mendo, you know, were just the only characters in the episode, and it was just them back and forth. He liked it because, you know, with the only <laughs> actors, they were able to finish recording early, but also uh, just the interplay between them was very entertaining. And yeah, that was a great episode of the so we learn more about that in the interview that I did with them. But yeah, no, uh, a lot, a lot of great stories from them about their uh, experiences in acting and also insights and the state of Japanese voice acting from people who are teaching it themselves. So if that does it for thoughts on for thoughts on Unison, actually what we should probably talk about before we can go further is just the layout of the convention itself. It was pretty similar to last year. However, they mixed things up in terms of the placements of a few different rooms or labeling of them. So, does anyone have any just thoughts on, like, kind of the layout of the con and how that was used? I've always found the layout of Otakon confusing. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, like, it's technically three floors. Yeah. Yes. But there's, like, a divider there. So you can't just, like, walk across one far end of the floor to the other. Yes. You have to take a bunch of stairs and it's, like, a little maze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you the- have to go... Up to the second floor, you have to walk across and go down if you want to attend the bulk of the panel rooms. And then you have to go down further to go down to the dealer and the art. Yeah. Uh, and then you that's also where you need to cross for the Marriott uh, if you want to like go and do all the cosplay-related things uh, and contests and then the ballroom and all of that stuff, so... Yeah, it's a, it's a very spread out uh, in terms of layout, in terms of where you need to travel to. So if you're traveling from one end to the other, it will take some time, for sure. And especially with panels, when you're trying to 
go from panel room seven, let's say, to one, I mean, it's not going to be take too long in theory, uh, you know, but with the crowds that can really exacerbate the problem, particularly on Saturday where, you know, I was trying to get down to the main floor where all the other panels were from, like, the second floor, but, like, they were diverting people, like, a ways to a different escalator than the main escalator to go down to that second floor. And so it took me a while to walk alongside a huge crowd just to get down to the panel rooms. And a lot of those people were in that line to go to the dealer's room, but, you know, it's the same direction to head down to the panel rooms. You have to go down the same way. So, yeah, that really uh, kind of inflated my travel time on Saturday. But... Yeah, I mean, I feel after, like, the first day I got the hang of, like, the layout, but I think the biggest thing for me is the fact that because panel room one is so far away from everything else, you feel very demotivated at times to go to panel room one if you're... Even though that's where a lot of the big panels are, including the next panel we did on Friday, the Trigger Cyberpunk Edgerunners panel, where, you know, they only had just cleared... Uh, their ability to screen that episode a few hours before the panel. Yeah, less than 48. I remember tweeting this. (laughs) Okay, well, still, very short turnaround. You know, the name of the panel kept changing on the schedule all the way up until they were able to finalize those plans to show that episode. Yeah, Uh, They showed Edge Runners at AX, but of course they had to get parents to Netflix again to be able to show it here at Oticon. But they did, and uh, I enjoyed the show. I enjoy, you know, I don't have any knowledge of the cyberpunk game and the original tabletop and all that stuff. But as a show, uh, it's just directed beautifully. Great art direction in terms of, again, as they talk about, they want to go with a noir feel, but a colorful noir. And I think they couldn't do that really beautifully uh, with a pretty hard-hitting first episode all about just the depression caused by capitalism and a hyper-capitalist future, uh, which is not too far off from our own in a disturbing way. So I thought that was uh, very compelling and definitely made me keen to check out more. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot different than what you'd expect from a first episode from Imaishi. Because, like... It, yeah. It's uh, a lot more subdued at times. There are a bit few like over the top moments, like the guy that like installs like the martial arts chip into like his body mm-hmm. and then just like does all the like Jackie Chan moves on that yeah. uh, one guy. But um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. And as someone that doesn't really care about like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, I feel like outside of the fact that this takes place on what seems to be Night City. You really don't need to know anything about cyberpunk. Yeah, I mean, in any questions that were asked upon it, it really seems that they didn't really have much familiarity with cyberpunk or the game, and they aren't really privy to like how the reception of the game was. This project really was made independently based off of the IP under CPDR's uh, instructions and hopes for what they were looking for creatively. So. Yeah, I think it really is a trigger project, like, just making use of this IP. And it's clear that, you know, it isn't, like, fully original trigger, just because, you know, some of my cheeses are, as you've said, toned down. 
because, you know, they were, like, working on, like, another established property rather than doing their own thing and getting full creative license in that way. Yeah, I mean, However, we saw the original design for Lucy. Yeah. That's uh, and also very different. Yeah, and also their sto- the story was kind of given to them to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had some freedom in how they execute that story, but, like, they did not really create the story of it. Uh, so, yeah. It is still a very interesting and compelling project with great production value. It's very see of Yoshinari's really great character designs, and that's worth noting that Yo Yoshinari, who character designed on Ed Runners, as well, of course, producer Wakabayashi, uh, we're here to promote the show and just talk about trigger stuff in general, accompanied by their uh, translator. So, Tatsuru? Tatsuru. Yeah, Tatsuru. Yeah. So, yeah. That was a good panel. After the screening, they showed off you know, production art. They, again, as you mentioned, they showed off Yoshinari's designs for David and Lucy. And definitely with David, it was a lot of hairstyle changes that it, they had to go through. But Lucy, a lot of different iterations of that design to figure it out. Uh, like Lucy's original design, much wilder, for sure. Yeah. I did find it funny about all the different hair changes with David. Because, like, it feels like definitely the early David was much more of a Kamina type placeholder, like a usual Maishi main character. Yeah. And perhaps that wasn't, you know, they talk about how Kamina's character and his character design, all that is, like, meant to embody, even down to his hair, like, this idea of him, like, you know rising to the top and having like, these big emissions and stuff, but with David, he's like a more Don Trotty character. They remark that, you know, David is a character who's like kind of puts through much more suffering and takes much more suffering than Amaichi's other protagonists. And even though there's going to be catharsis uh, for his character in the second episode of Beyond, you know, mm-hmm. that his design probably is meant to reflect that he doesn't start out at that place where he's like, you know, in that, like, unflappable like, self-confident state where he's ready to take on the world. Yeah, I believe the exact words Wakabayashi said was, like, uh, David is, like, Trigger's, like, first enduring yes. character. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, so I think it was interesting. So, Kakuji, do you have any thoughts on it? Or? I mean, I'm not familiar with it. I don't think we, either one of us were familiar with Cyberpunk at all. Mm-hmm. So we just went into this whole <laughs> but, but no, I, I could say, I mean, speaking for myself, I I can't say it would be on my, like, priority list to watch more, but I mean, I have been enthusiastic about Trigger. So, it was nice seeing them again. I think the last thing I've really seen from them is its entirety of the premiere. So, like, um, since then I haven't watched any Trigger. But, I mean, the first episode was fun. Like, not well, I know. <laughs> but but it was it was an interesting first episode. I mean, it, it hit on a lot of tropes that I really like. You know, again, the enduring protagonist, um, you know, the dystopian future, and again, it was very colorful. Which yes. is what you come to expect from Trigger. Um, I, you know, if I remember, I would definitely watch more of it. <laughs> I can't sit here and lie and say that I'm hyped to see more, but definitely if it's a thing that comes across my Netflix feed and I see it, then yeah, it'd be good. Excellent. I'll give it three episodes. I don't know, the, the cliffhanger that episode one ended on, uh, it made me go, yeah, I'll probably, like, check it out, but honestly, it's also not really my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's pretty interesting, but, I mean, I don't 
If I finish it, that'll be pretty amazing, but I don't really see myself doing so. I'd probably get bored after, like, like, uh, once the character gets somewhere, like, if after that, it's just, like, if it feels like it's starting to be, uh, like a repetition of itself, then, like, normally that's usually when I stop watching anything that has action in it, but, I mean, we'll see. I'll definitely check it out, at least. For sure. Valor, do we want to just talk about all our other trigger experiences as we're on the subject, or do we want to move on chronologically? Uh, might as well just fit it in here. Yeah, so Saturday we interviewed the Studio Trigger team. We were part of a round-robin interview with a few other outlets, a lot less than you're expecting because the entire group CC'd on our email about it, you know, was a much larger group and with names we recognized who did not attend. And I think a lot of that is because all of those people have interviewed them before, but also, you know, they have this Q&A session in their live drawing the next day that, you know, they could ask questions or hear questions being answered of them, too. But it was a cool experience to be able to interview the tour team uh, kind of directly, like be face-to-face with them and have be able to ask multiple questions. I feel, you know, I did a lot of research in my questions, but I feel like there were two that kind of came out as duds. One on panty and stocking, because they were not at license to talk about panty and stocking. If I had rephrased it in a way similar to how a person on the Sunday live driving panel like asked about it, perhaps I would have been able to get more of a response out of them, but unfortunately, their only response to that is like, just, they couldn't say anything about it, and any confusion about like some comments that I had heard about it. Yeah, they're, they're very tight-flipped on Season 2. Don't try to ask them anything about yeah, Season 2. I mean, it's also worth noting that I don't think they've officially called it Season 2 yet, just that it's a new project, right? Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, so they couldn't really answer anything. It's like, it was the second question that, that I asked that I felt was a dud was one that I think I just took too long to explain in oh, terms of... yeah, I remember that one. You know, why tonally... Trigger and cyberpunk seemed to be like a good thematic fit with each other in terms of exploring the oppression of marginalized peoples, which is a common thing in cyberpunk works and in trigger works. So that was just one I think I took too long to explain. I should have just stayed more on the script of what I wrote, which was more succinct. I think I think I'm just like try in trying to rephrase it took too long. And yeah. uh, there was also so, and that's like a one where Tatsuya like sighs. I think just like trying to figure out how to how to like summarize all that succinctly. So that was two questions that I felt were kind of dead. And I also feel like I asked a question because at the start, uh, actually a very good question about like their favorite cartoons was asked, and Yoshinari mentioned he was a big fan of Tarkovsky. So I asked a question about like where he watched Primal, or he's heard about like. Gendy's Popeye film, where the anime was leaked, and, you know, he said that he likes Primal, and then, you know, he hadn't heard about the film, but, uh, I feel like, instead of asking that question, I should have just asked him, like, a lot of the other questions I had about him as a creative person, director, you know, particularly the question that I had that was asking what his favorite role was in the production pipeline, since he's taken on so many different roles, so that was a missed opportunity. Overall, though, I think just being in the room uh, face-to-face with Trigger, though, was a lot of fun, and there were a lot of good questions asked and responses given. So that was a good time. Uh, what were your feelings on that? 
I mean, I think first of all, you're being too hard on yourself. You did a good job. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm hard on myself, even thinking back to my interviews with Nana Cheney and Artis and NYC, like, many years ago. I was like, oh, there's more questions I can ask. Or and get those are still great interviews. Yeah, like, now I think my first instinct when I think about them is, oh, I'm positive about them. I'm like, oh, man, that was a great time, but. Yeah, at the time, I remember I was like feeling, oh man, there's so much more I could have, or there, I could have gone a different way. Yeah, I mean, this will be like, there will be the interview out on mangamatrix.com, of course, but I was surprised that there was a lot of focus on just cyberpunk. Yeah. Which I'm kind of glad that I then asked more like uh, general questions, or at least not general, but more things about the other side of the trigger. Yeah. Um, so I was very happy that I got some good responses out of that. Yeah, I thought you had really great questions that elicited some great responses. And I do appreciate that a lot of people that were joining us, Fred, also had like kind of a different direction in terms of what they wanted to get out. So there was variety in the type of questions asked. You know, there was a guy who was asking kind of just personal, like, what is your favorite cartoons and music? Uh, there was like, a person who was like asking more about like the fan support side. The person next to, who was sitting next to me was asking more specifically about like cyberpunk and influences, and then the person sitting to like the right of me was like more about I think creative inspiration generally. So I appreciated a lot of the other uh, interviewers also came in with, like kind of different goals. So there was that variety there. Yeah, and it was also like a proper round robin where everyone got a turn. Yes. Unlike uh, some group interviews where it's just whoever can talk the loudest gets to yeah, ask no, the question. They went in order basically starting from the right all the way around and I think did they end on a question of yours? I think they might have. I'm trying to remember what question it even was though. Hmm. No, I, I wonder if they did or if it went back because I because the, la- the last question I asked was the one that involved Randy. Okay. That's a little teaser for you guys listeners. <laughs> but, yeah, the guy who was sitting to the right of me, you know, asked a fun question of, like, whether there was a studio trigger cheer. And I thought, <laughs> you know, came up with a fun response from Wakabayashi where he, like, parodied the Attack on Titan salute. Oh, oh, it yeah. was, like, all... Glory to Amaishi or something <laughs> yeah. was said. So I thought, you know, fun questions like that were really nice. And I were good examples for me to keep going going forward of like how to kind of best connect with interview subjects and stuff. So yeah, I appreciated uh, that. That, that. That interview was really fun. And it definitely was like a, one of my bucket list like dream interviews. So I can check one of them off now. Yeah. And then just skipping ahead to Sunday, the final event was also a trigger panel. It was the live drawing, and Yoshinari drew Akko in cyberpunk attire. And he was just happy with the coloring of it at the end, but it, it looked so cool. And the fact that he could draw that in an hour was just so amazing. Yeah, he definitely was messing around with the coloring a lot, too, yeah. throughout the entire process. Which was interesting to see it, like yeah. him going through it. But he ate just so fast, and he did all this lighting effects so fast. It's just really remarkable to see a master artist like him at work. And, you know, it's to be expected he's that fast because of all the anecdotes I've heard about him being able to draw so much in his cuts and his takes that he's able to discard drawings, which is, like, so rare in animation. You don't want to overdraw and 
lose work that, you know, isn't going to be used. So, you know, just incredible talent. And a lot of fun questions asked there as well that I live tweeted and also, yeah, I live tweeted so you can refer to that tread. Yeah. I'm also surprised, like, they actually gave uh, more response on Infernal Cop. Oh, yeah, because you know we were sending some Mike, and he, he was all saying, "Oh, Infernal Cop died," and you know, so you know, what's there left to do? Well, yeah, and in an AX, they'd given a very vague response about it. Yeah, it's, it seems like something they don't really want to go back to because they say he's dead. Yeah, so I mean, but this Q and A, they actually said, "Oh no, we." We have actually plans. We had plans for season two. I don't know if we've shown anything up of it, but we have like, you know, concept art illustrations drawn. And actually, we have the concept of like it's going to be about the burning kid or. Yeah. The boy who. He'll be the protagonist. We'll show him in like his late teen to adult years. So. Um, so hopefully we get that one day. Yeah. <laughs> I love how Lock last year was basically like, oh, hey, if you really wanted. Uh, Infernal Cop Season 2, blame Gridman. Yeah, he was saying like, yeah, Mamma Mia yeah. got, is too successful in Gridman now to return to the project and everyone else is working on who worked on Infernal Cop is also now too busy, but yeah. yeah. That's so, I mean, that's basically all the young animators. Yeah, but they, so. they want to find new talent for it is what he said, so yeah, I guess there's, you know, potential for more Infernal Cop as, uh, I guess Panty and Stalking, you know, again they, they couldn't answer any Panty's like questions during our interview, but at the Q&A, they were like, oh, no, well, we've had ideas for it for, like, uh, the last 12 years since the show ended. Uh, we have plans up to nine seasons worth of content. <laughs> um, so, you know, it just has taken this long uh, to get something off the ground. So that's pretty exciting here, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, a lot of great questions asked and great responses given. A lot of good advice to artists, especially from Yoshinari. So, yeah, very, very good stuff from Trigger all around this weekend. So fun to always attend panels with them, and so really cool to be given the opportunity to meet them. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's only like three years ago that I was just getting autographed from them. Yeah. <laughs> now that's upgraded to interview. What's yeah. next? Co-production. <laughs> you need uh, to get them to do some of it. I mean, we have... We have the, the contact information. Yeah. That they be our person, so... Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll see. Probably. Not really. Yeah, I mean, on this going and continuing on the subject of interviews, you know, my first interview this weekend was in Maria Ise, who is the voice actress of Killua, Bonnie in Pokemon, FF in JoJo's, Ray in Crossoverland, and a lot of other roles. But those roles I just mentioned were the ones I wanted to focus on on my interview with her, which is the only interview I conducted in the Marriott. And so that was my first time ever going to that side during, I never went there last Otakon, so that was the only time I went this Otakon into Marion. How was it? Because I still haven't been there. Uh, you know, very, very so I talked with Rye, actually. I met Rye while waiting to do the interview with uh, Miss Ize. And they mentioned that, you know, they would come there to just get away from the con because it's usually a lot less cluttered and much more quiet there. So uh, definitely I could feel that vibe, you know, not as busy, definitely seemed like a good place to chill if you wanted to get away from, like, the busyness of the con. So it's literally all that's in there is the cosplay area, the ballroom. Well, and that's the on the bottom floor, but you can go up into the lobby and, you know, you can just 
just hang and chill out there. It's a wider open space. Oh, and at that point, it's just a regular hotel. Yeah, I mean, it's just a hotel. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, mainly like the, the cosplay organizational and contest stuff were there as well as like in the main ballroom is in the hotel. But yeah, so my interview with Ize, I feel the happiest about all the interviews in terms of the questions I was able to ask and being able to kind of communicate easy, have a back for it, and like, you know, talking about her role as Bonnie, you know, she even performed, like, Bonnie's kind of signature recurring line where she, like, proposes to girls on behalf of Citron, her brother, so that was fun. And yeah, like, I I was happy with how that went, I managed to ask six questions, like, only my only regret, I think, is not being able to ask, like, the Promised Neverland-related question about, like, her actually initially trying to audition for Emma and Norman wanted to be Norman, but then ending up as Ray. And then my follow-up to that was like going to be like, oh, well, you know, how often do you find yourself in the position where you end up with a role you didn't set out to cast for? But, you know, that's an unfortunate thing. I didn't get to that question. But still, asked a lot of good questions, and uh, I was very pleased with those. Around this time, you guys were like in the dealer's room. I mean, Jekka, you were in line for Verkala. Would you like to now go into kind of your dealer's room experiences over the con? Go ahead and long with me. Yeah, dealer, you bought a lot of manga this weekend. Yeah, and it's funny, because initially I thought I wouldn't buy any manga. Yeah, so, so like, dealer and I, when we initially went to the dealer's room, and we were walking around for a bit, and it was like, we, we looked at a couple of manga vendors, and he was like, huh, is this it? Have I reached the top? Like, <laughs> you could hear the emptiness in his voice as he's like, I've done it, I, <laughs> and then, then he like calls us later. I mean, I'm jumping in a little bit. He calls us later. I've got how many volumes? It, it, it became the whole weekend. Was like, how many volumes do you think I bought? And it became a whole game show thing. But yeah, in the beginning. Uh, so yeah, so the initial time through, Sakaki and I were looking at a bunch of the different uh, manga booths, and I didn't find anything. But then I came back a bit later, and I noticed that we didn't really look very closely at the very bottom shelf of one of the booths that's known for having like. Really out of print manga. And guess what I found there? Bastard. Volumes 1 through 5. <laughs> which usually go for like 70 plus dollars each. All at sticker price. Wow. So yeah, I bought those. Then I bought uh, a few other manga as well that I don't remember off the top of my head. I, I know I bought One Pound Gospel, uh, Volume 1 and Volume 3. The mm-hmm. volumes that we didn't own. Um, and I guess, like, just to sum up, like, the other manga I bought over the weekend, I bought, like, uh, Shadow Lady. That was another surprising one. They had all of Shadow Lady. They had all of, uh, School Zone, an old, uh, horror manga that Dark Horse released. A Madara, a, uh, manga by the creator of, uh, Kurosaki Corpse Delivery Service. And, uh, yeah, I-, I bought quite a bit when I wasn't expecting to buy much at all. So I think I... Got out of the con with uh, 32 volumes. What? Not the 36? I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess it would be a segue to going through the purchases. Um, I didn't really get much just because Jack and I are going to Crunchyroll Expo right after this. Yeah, we're insane. <laughs> but, um, yeah, for me, I just picked up, um, one of the SNES Dragon Ball games of Budoten. Yeah, Budoten. Budo 10 2 because it was one of the first games I ever emulated. Um, so it's weird getting back to it. Yeah, of course, though. 
Uh, as we're getting back to it, um, because, like, that was back when I was really into Dragon Ball Z, so I emulated not knowing any Japanese at all, so, like, seeing it in the shelf in front of me, even though I had no way of playing it, I had to have it. Um, I picked up Kikai Shen Blu-ray, because that's so brand. <laughs> um, as well as, uh, sticking a brand, 20th Century Boys, volumes 9 and 10, so I got some more. I'm limiting myself to only picking them up when I physically see them. And only at one <laughs> session. Because otherwise I would have probably bought all of them at once. But yeah, so and this this journey started last year with you guys as well in um St. Louis. Like I saw the first two in the local comic book shop and picked them up and, and still picking them up like every single week. What else did I get? Uh of course once I was seventeen. Oh yeah, Jack and I picked up a Japanese movie <laughs> along with uh, Animal Crossing. Oh, for GameCube. Yeah, Animal Crossing for wow. GameCube and Mario Party 4. <laughs> How much was the Japanese Wii? It was like 49 yeah, Which is a bad That's like the price of an American Wii. Right? Yeah, so. You guys have an American Wii? Yeah, I, I okay, do. So it's so somewhere in my basement. So, yeah, there you oh, go. Oh, my technical parents, but yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the same situation of mine. My sister, we bought it for my sisters, so they have the Wii. So, I mean, I could get access to it, but it's just like, why not? I guess this is just our way of slowly building up our own nest egg. I only <laughs> do have the two controllers, but, I mean, those are probably cheap, too, right? Yeah, and I have a game controller, so yeah. definitely. We're also going to do another one of our controllers. The game controller, the superior controller. The superior. Um, that's all I got. Like, and so we got some art, but I guess. Um, so I got some manga. I got 14 volumes of probably out of print stuff. I know at least two of them are out of print. Most of it's Tokyo Pop. Of course. Of course. Cause <laughs> like, <laughs> um, although. Uh, one of the series that I got, I've actually read totally legally. Um, I've actually seen the anime before. Again, totally legally. Actually, that did get dubbed in Italian, and that like there's like no info on it at all. the The manga version I know was flipped, and they did have name changes in it from the 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 other time that I read it. I only got. Four volumes of that? I forget how many are in there, but like none of them are the first volume either. Uh, another one that I got, I've actually been reading it, it's, um, it's called Forbidden Dance and it's actually Shoggy. Uh, Shogakukan. It, uh, it's basically about a girl who is like obsessed with ballet and she, uh, she, Bumbles a couple times, so then she tries to quit ballet, and then she ends up on this troop, uh, seeing this troop form, and she, like, she falls pretty much in love with it again, and she's like, you know what, I'm gonna try it again, and then she doesn't realize that the troop is actually all male. So it's kind of like Hanakimi, sort of, yeah. where that the, uh, the girl ends up joining something, like an all boys school. But, like, they know that she's a girl, so it's... It also reminds me of something else, and I can't think of what. But oh, like this is the author of uh, Sand Chronicles and SOS. Yeah. Sounds oh, very much like Dance Dance. Dance. <laughs> 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 so, the whole time you were describing it, I'm like, huh, did George has a girl. 
and they ran into <laughs> yeah, something. Actually, I uh, bought that recently from a half price books. Forbidden Dance? Yeah. Oh, oh. okay. Yeah, because I like Saint Chronicles, and I saw it, so mm. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I have the first four volumes of the. How long is it, do you know? Four volumes. It is four volumes? Okay, yeah. then I got all the whole thing. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple others that I can't think of at the moment. They're in my suitcase, so I don't want to take them out. <laughs> I don't think I did outside of art. And even then, it was just like a. Maybe from like one booth. I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah, I mean, there were. Like, we. Like, we did separate, but I didn't end up buying anything outside of the, uh, the manga, so... Yeah, I didn't buy too much this time, although I still spent, like, way too much money. Don't worry, you'll spend more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm kind of hoping that, like, as chill as uh, Crunchyroll Expo seems to be, at least in, like, guest-wise, like, maybe it won't be too much. I mean, there were, like, a couple things that I saw in the dealer's room that I was like, yeah, that'd be cool. And, like, I did, like, take pictures, or, like, sometimes they have, like, the QR code to, like, check out their shop, because it was, like, sort of art, but, like, it was, like, their own handmade stuff, and I was like, yeah, I'll look into that later. There was something in artist, yeah, there was uh, one lady in artist alley that we said we were going to get more stuff then. Yeah, 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 she's also going to be at, uh, C-Rex. so, yeah. Yeah, I guess more generally, I was wondering, like, just your overall impressions for vendors to buy manga from in the con or in the dealer's room like how many were there and then what your opinions were of like the best ones i think there were like four main ones as far as i could tell and the best one in my opinion is always painted vision comics because mm-hmm. like the guy that runs it he always makes sure to get like really out of print stuff and like he sells it at a fair price there's always a buy three, get four, or buy three, get one free deal, so you get, like, the fourth manga free. So I, I always like that one. Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of the usual types, like that, you know, one with all those big walls, like you mentioned, last year, and that does have, like, a big selection of, like, out-of-print stuff for sure. There's always, like, uh, cheap manga is always around with yeah. like, all their discount stuff. They actually sold out of it, or did they just get... Because, like, we went by there, and they didn't have anything. Yeah. No, that's impressive. I think they might have sold some of their inventory to Painted Vision. Okay, okay cool. And then walking around, there were, like, a lot of other ones that had, like, some manga, some, like, older art print stuff as well. Yeah, the one that um, we uh, saw at SDCC was there, too. Yeah. I forget the name of it. It's not, like, every con. In general, I think the only... Rendered as having like discount manga sales, whereas cheap manga, everything else was selling at cover price. But depending on the series, like if you have mentioned Bathurst, you can get a good deal on something out of print at that cover price. Yeah, I mean, like there, a lot of the manga I bought were manga where like you either cannot buy it online because no one's selling it, or like it's hundred dollars, seventy dollars yeah. prices that I will never pay for a manga. <laughs> I mean, the most I've spent on the manga is like $30, I think, for like so, a single Tongabon. I, I am not that desperate. Hopefully. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess as far as, I mean, I wasn't really looking for a whole lot. You know, I guess one of my, like, barometers for cons is the dealer's room. So 
so I kind of wanted to temper my excitement for CRX. So, like, a lot of stuff... I mean, it's a lot of the same vendors from last year, so it's not like it was super-duper surprising. Like, oh, wow, this person wasn't here. So, like, yeah. But we'll see. But, I mean, I'm happy, generally speaking. You know, I bought new Kaichi for the disco tent, so I'm yeah. glad to support them. You know, how was the disco tent? But I did not go by there at all. It's pretty good selection, I'd yeah. say. Oh. Me and him went there once, and then I went there by myself, and then... And I, I, I mean, an anecdote was, like, some girl bought Mothic actually bought it. Like, when I yeah. was there, and I was just like, I was really happy about that. But they also <laughs> had the uh, entire J9 series, which uh, they had to abruptly stop selling, like, online. Because yeah, of, uh, some new contract. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Even though the last one of, the, of this trilogy, like, just came out last month. Yeah, and I'm so glad I pre-ordered that. Yeah. Because, like, otherwise Sorry, they probably yeah. wouldn't have it. <laughs> so yeah, I was hoping they would have, uh... How was the other one uh, out of print was Acro Ranger? Oh. Or, or whatever it's called. I, I was hoping they'd have that, but they didn't. But uh, it was good that they had J9s, so that people could actually buy J9 and hear the wonderful openings. Because <laughs> they are bangers. <laughs> yeah. Any other interesting like vendors you saw in the dealers that you want to spotlight or trends you were noticing there? One thing, and I did feel like it was a crowded space. However, on yeah. the sides of it, you could there were generally free areas, particularly kind of on the right side, okay. the side that is not by the stairs, on the side that's just by a wall. That generally was a pretty free space, as were kind of the two edges, like spaces where it was just the eating area. And actually, that kind of I will have a question now about. Well, what did you guys think about the food offerings that they have over on this year? Just like I say with the vendors, I think it's mostly the same stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was surprisingly good this year. Yeah, I will say that a new vendor I noticed in the dealers was like just this stall or restaurant rather than, you know, they had their own kitchen. Uh, I don't know what they marketed it as, you know, that they had like burgers. Uh, the thing that stood out to me though is like, it's their chicken tenders uh, combo with fries at thirteen dollars was much cheaper than other vendors yeah. in the space selling chicken tenders and fries. So if you wanted that, you could go there. And the serving was very generous. Yeah, it was like yeah. you know a lot of food. So like when I got it on Friday, I was like, wow, uh, this is actually a lot. I'm actually getting fulled up on this without having even finished it. So wait, where was this place? This, it, we got food from there. Wait, was that so the place? It was like the, the cafeteria looking it's thing. It's the cafeteria. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. It's not a food truck. I don't know. No. Yeah. It's like, baby it's like actually in the building. It's in oh, the okay. yeah. You were with me when I got the chicken tenders and fries the other time. You got like chips? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that place. Yeah. Yeah. I got a burger from there. Yeah, oh, pretty okay. good. Yeah. yeah. And otherwise, the Caribbean Co. that offers, you know, like Caribbean style chicken. Uh, meals. I think that's always a great place for seeing some real food. As is the Mediterranean place. I got that on Saturday night, and that is a really good hearty meal. Again, with some much healthier options than other vendors in the con. Also very filling. I appreciate having some like real veggies in there and a lot of good mix of flavors. I really like oily and greasy. So, I mean, I would recommend if you want something that isn't like, you know, the, the traditional burgers or sandwiches or fried stuff. Definitely Caribbean Cove and the Mediterranean 
place. It's like, where to go to get from inside of the center. DC Test Kitchen was also pretty good, mm-hmm. like, on the far right, like, yeah. end. They had, like, a sushi and, like, poke bowls and, like, nice. egg rolls, and also they had really good boba. Yeah. And for dessert, that orange cow ice cream truck. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. Ice cream. yeah. yeah. And they had their ice cream sandwich. Very delicious. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I had the strawberry ice cream today. I had it last year, too. Yeah, I got the cookies and cream yesterday. Surprisingly not busy when I went there. Yeah, it was never busy when I passed by. Maybe it's just the efficiency of the service. It's all pretty packed. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I think that in, obviously, you know, it's going to be expensive compared to anything you get outside. But like in convention food offerings, you had some good choices yeah. uh, beyond fried stuff and some good like snack and dessert stuff to get as well. So overall, pretty good uh, uh, food amenities. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't mind if they lowered the price on these like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and you really need to spend five dollars. Like, I, I think like a bottle five dollars of- for. 32 ounce soda. You should have seen Lum complain about the prices at San Diego Comic Con. It's not as, you know, those, it's not as much as a steal at San Diego Comic Con. $6.25 for a 5.91 milliliter bottle. Dang. That's disgusting. It is. Like, like, I got a bottle of water, uh, what was it, on Friday, and like that shot my order up to like 20 bucks and I mean on the one hand like the food there was a lot of food but like 4 bucks for a bottle of water or like 4 yeah, or it something it is ridiculous like, we were just in this Best Buy where it's like oh you can get two like $5.91 <laughs> bottles of soda for three fifty. Yeah, it's, it's like that's a reasonable price you yeah, know? Why, why are these bottles of soda price of like 4 to Six dollars. You're buying a pack of They know you won't leave the convention center. And the ironic thing is, like, if you, if you walk outside of it, there is a Walgreens. Like, yeah. yeah. And honestly, I, like, it's not that hard to leave and get back yeah. in. Yeah. Really. I mean, on and Saturday, it kind of was. Yeah. yeah. If it wasn't for the inconvenience of having to leave and go back in, yeah. Yeah. you know, you could go out and get reasonably priced food or bring reasonably priced food. Even though you're not supposed to technically bring in food in the center, they weren't checking that at all. No. So. Yeah, I saw lots of people just yeah. Yeah. outside. So. I mean, they provide water stations for you to refill your water bottle at. So, I mean, you can bring in your empty water bottle and then you'll have free water at the time. Just every town basically had a, a water fountain dispensary. Yeah. And that was a great amenity there. Yeah. Oh, I completely forgot that fill up my bottle every time I passed one. So I was oh. constantly thirsty, and I was like, oh man, I'm too far away from the station. I'll just buy a soda. On, a, yeah. on Saturday, in between panels, when we were waiting for the um, Discotech panel, I think you guys were out getting food or something. I don't know, because mm-hmm. remember I ditched you at one point. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I came back, and then I was just sitting in the room where we watched Gunbusters, and then I looked over and I was like, oh yeah, there's a water thing here. And like my bottle was empty, so I just fucked up that. But yeah. Even panel room one had one. Yeah. I never yeah. noticed it until Me like today. All the panel rooms I think had them in the corner somewhere. Not gonna lie, I didn't notice it until a lady filled up her bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, oh shoot. 
I noticed them, but I never had a watermelon pull up. I mean, <laughs> you, like, you know the, the ones that they put out, like, a few years ago, where you just put your bottle there, and it sensors it, like, you can sense it, and then it fills yeah. up like that, like, right above the water fountains? I, I knew those were around, but, like, they're so far to walk to, so I was like, I don't know if I'm falling down there, and then that's when I saw the leaf, the her bottle, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, if, I, if I had realized that earlier, I would have started filling up my bottle. Right. And then we had to go to those full-up stations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, you don't have to go to RC if you attend all the time. Yeah. I am thankful for, because you can get pretty hot, and in general, you can get pretty exhausted yeah. after a full day of walking around or standing in one place for a long time. I don't know why. Yeah, on Friday yeah. and Saturday, I was falling asleep on the, uh, the train back. Yeah, it's been a pretty long days, yeah. especially Saturday. But to continue on on Friday, and just going back into some panels now, we all attended Mario City, or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you I were didn't. No, I was standing in line for, for an autograph. Sakaki were there with Lord and I, and yeah, again, Mario you say in a really entertaining. Here insides our walls. An interesting anecdote she had during the Q and A was about how she landed the world Kilowa. Originally, you know, she didn't get the part, or when she was offered the part, she was doing this other role at the time. So, you know, her producer, her manager, basically called the production and said, "You know, you're going to want to cast Easy as Kilowa because she's a rising star, and if you don't, you know, I'm going to try to quit." And so then, like, the sound <laughs> engineer, like, a few days later, just called Ize up, and he called her up with the person who was originally cast as Kilowatt, but that person didn't pick up, but she did, Ize did, and so the guy was like, okay, well, I was calling both of you, but you're the only one who picked up, so you're the partner, Kilowatt. And that's how she landed the role, which is an amazing story, and wow. What an amazing set of fate and circumstances. And that's such a great thing for her because somebody was like a fan literally said that Kilo was her first love. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a really cool story. And uh, a lot of really, really great anecdotes that, again, I I uh, recorded most of this all transcribed it and I think we treated some out too. So yeah, like really, really cool meeting uh, Marty's like getting an interview and like listening to her panel there. So in that same room, we were a nice day for the orange panel, and we can also lead that into your interview with Yoshihiro Watanabe on Sunday, you were, if you want to share like, your impressions of the panel, and then interviewing Watanabe-san. Yeah, so the panel is mainly focused on kind of going through Orange's process in terms of developing CG productions, and the different innovations that they've been making since Land of the Lustrous moving forward, and how that's kind of connecting to Trigun Stampede. And as far as, like, uh, the panel went, I, I was really impressed by it. Like, Watanabe did a great job of kind of explaining really what's making all these orange anime look so good. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of nice to see that, like, oh, hey, this is, like, the key thing we were focusing on in the show, and... See, all of this is going to be in Trigon Stampede. Trigon Stampede is going to be perfect, amazing. It's going to yeah. save anime. That, uh, he was pretty honest. Like, it, it's like, um, it was interesting because, like, he was very frank about the fact that, like, Stampede is a tough production because, like, 
they're hitting the limitations of like what their technology and like their workforce is capable of. But it's also kind of uh, admirable that like they're working that hard on it. It, it was kind of nice to see that transparency. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really cool to get insights into the production of CG animation in Orange and how they've evolved their craft over each of their productions. Yeah. And I, I guess as far as my interview with him went, I kind of built off a lot of what he talked about mm-hmm. in the panel. We, we talked more about kind of like why Orange is succeeding where like other studios are kind of failing in terms of CG and his relationship with Masao Mariyama, uh, his time when he was a uh, uh, member of staff at Otakon, we talked about that. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really fun interview, and since he's fluent in English too, I got to ask him a lot of questions, even though it was only a ten minute slot. So it, it it was really fun. Like we were having a very like kind of uh, free flowing conversation. So That's awesome. I liked it. Excellent, excellent. So yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to hearing. And, yeah, you can also check out uh, the tread we made of the Orange panel, because, yeah, there were a lot of really great insights there. And uh, I always love looking a uh, peek behind the curtain to how a studio has kind of evolved a graph and what they work on in terms of, like, the technical side of building their animations, which, you know, Watanabe-san really went into hard there. And, you know, a lot of cool behind the scenes as well. But I think the next panel we had after that was the Kaiji dub premiere, which uh, was really entertaining. And I don't know how much more we want to even go into it, but like, you know, it's cool. I think the dub sounded great. It was really funny. The narrator, especially, the way oh, he yes. ended it up. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you have to go. It's like I said at the showing, you have to go that hand stand the touch. Yeah. You have yeah. to go big or go home. But we've all seen Kaiji. Someone here had. No, I yeah. haven't seen Kaiji. Oh, that was my seen. first oh, time watching Kaiji, so I have. Take it back. Would you have? No, I have not. Oh. <laughs> well, he, who's saying the one person? But yeah. So now it's two people percent. versus the other. So what did you guys think of Kaiji? I thought it was very entertaining. You know, it's a little... It's both faster paced and slower paced than I expected, I guess. Yeah. A lot of kaiju is a lot of talking. It's just very entertaining dialogue. But, you know, the Rock, Paper, Scissors game was very fun, especially uh, very, you know, uh, timely for this weekend, considering how many Rock, Paper, Scissors games are played oh, at the end of the prizes. Including at the end of the kaiju panel to win a kaiju vinyl, which, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm not good at Rock, Paper, Scissors. I didn't win any of these Rock, Paper, Scissors no, but apparently cool. I'm good at tying because that's the, like the first round in all of them I tied. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that was also my problem. That kaiju one too. But yeah, no, I definitely am very excited to watch and read more kaiju now. It's very cool. They're going to be releasing the dub on High Dive in batches by arc. First nine episodes later this fall. And more batches from there, so very, very excited to see that. And yeah, I don't off the top of my head like know remember the cast list, but I just say you know again, I just appreciated kind of the crudeness 
of it, like, in a like, card and leans into, like, bashing Kaiji for being, like, a loser at the start, but then you really feel for him and, like, you know, him, like, gaining his connection. You're like, okay, no, I'm not gonna just, like, go down crying and, like, kind of teams it with other people out a spot at the end of the second episode to kind of fight back. So I like that being, them being put in such a desperate situation where there's continuing to be exploited, taking advantage of, and, like, trying to just fight back in that system to, like, flop their way out of it. So, yeah. I, I, will, I will say Kaiji will put you out of the mood. Kaiji will have you wanting to choke him and also <laughs> feeling yes. really sorry for him in yeah. the same episode. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I won't spoil, but I remember just getting to the end of the first anime, and I was, I, I just had to, like, stop watching that Thursday. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I had to stop. So. And just, like, I was just so angry at Kaiji. It's of course a very yeah. funny show, too. Yeah, right? yeah. And so, you have sequences like Kaiji taking the, like, plates <laughs> off the wheels of the guy's car, wrecking it. Like, the predatory loan shark. And then he's intimidating him into going to his house. And, you know, the entire conversation between him and the loan shark, where you know the guy's just scamming him, the kaiju's just falling for it. It's like, there's a lot of really funny moments in that. Yeah. Those folding call scams, especially. So, you know, very entertaining. Yeah, definitely now, um, on the, the kaiju, the kaiju train, the kaiju boat, rather. You know, <laughs> you're on, on the boat. I'm on the boat. <laughs> 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 yeah, and I'm going to ride that cruise all the way now. But yeah, and a shout out to I think there's like someone who was uh, sitting in front of me saying, oh, I think Dave Walton was a narrator. I don't know if uh, I haven't seen the cast list, but it's really like a shout out against the narrator because man, but a great performance. And also a shout out to Star from the High Dead Marketing Team who liked my Lone Squad t-shirt. And complimented me on it. And even shouted me out uh, at the beginning of the, the panel saying, hey, it's a guy with a shirt. So, well, thank you, Star. Well, I'm glad you appreciate the shirt. And uh, I'll take that along. For me, I don't know, Kaji reminded me of, like, Kaji reminded me of Flyer Game, actually. Yeah. 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 It's like, mostly, I mean, I never actually finished Liar Game, but like the the half that I did see, I, I actually watched it friends and literally almost the entire time it was them complaining about how stupid the main character was. So I don't know, it like I, I'm sure it, well actually no, I can't say that. It's kind of, I'm expecting that sort of with Kaiji, like if he's really like I mean he does realize it himself. But, like, if you go into something, like, not really getting it and, like, you're super gullible doing that, it's just, I don't know where I was going with this sentence. <laughs> um, well, let me ask this, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you feel about Kai? We had just finished watching Tomodachi Games. Kaiji or uh, Tomodachi Games? Or, or even, I know this is off topic, but mm-hmm. Tomodachi Game or uh, Liar Game. Between the three of these. So, from the first five minutes, <laughs> I was like, why is this going so fast? <laughs> like, I don't know, I felt like there was, I mean, um, when I, Sakaki and I were talking during it, like, at the very beginning, and he did say that the manga goes really slowly, so they kind of condensed it. Yeah, because, like, one volume could be, like, 
you can have 1.5 volumes in one episode of Kaiju. Really? Yeah. Entire series are just one game now. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. It, it's absurd. Yeah, there's, what, season three, series three is Mahjong. That's it, right? Yeah, yeah. and then series four is like one poker game? Yeah, one poker game. And then now the current series is they got the money from the poker game or are trying to escape. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's bad. <laughs> so. Well, I mean... <laughs> Just from, like, the first few minutes alone, I just sat there wondering, like, did I miss... Like, it's pretty linear, and, like, they give you enough information, but from one second, he's like, damn, my life sucks, too. Let's go outside and, like, stab some cars. (laughs) And I don't know, it it felt kind of weird that, like, when when you can feel that something's, like, going too fast, then it's just kind of, like... That, but I would rather have something be too fast than too slow. Yeah. So I don't know. I I'd consider looking, uh, uh, watching it a little more. Um, especially if the entire thing is ham. But yeah. <laughs> On high dive and key four. Yeah. 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 I mean, definitely. Uh, I'm gonna check out more. Of it. I mean, it's got me in the mood to rewatch the sub. So like that's. I, I don't say that as, like, a knock against the dub at all. It's just it's been so long since I've watched Kaiji. Yeah. 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 So, like, after that second episode, you're like, oh, man, I have to finish this. No, yeah, exactly. I definitely let me be like, oh, I want to see how they get there themselves. Like, I at least want to see how they finish the game. Yeah. Like, if yeah. I don't watch the whole thing, then at least I can finish, like, one series. Trust me, it's going to be really hard to do now. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It seems like a very bingeable show. I mean, yeah. the entire manga is also on Manga Planet, so you could, like, binge that pull yeah. yourself over. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Demba. Yeah. And uh, also just kind of talking about high dive stuff this weekend. I mean, they have a lot of dub announcement news. All the Night is coming. Yeah. Other shows stick out to you. Um, that you remember? Kong Ming was on the list. Kong Ming. Kong Ming was a big yeah, favorite the list. <laughs> of, their, of their shows. Like, there was actually a shout out to the Kong Ming cosplayer walking yeah. into the room with the IG girl. So, you know. I, I was there for like part of it, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then I, did I leave? I think I left. Yeah. yeah. No, I do, I was there for the Kangmin walking in. I was, just, like, just a minute or two after he mentioned it. He's like, look, there he is, raising our presence. Yeah. That was, and could not also I want to shout out their booth, which was pretty cool in terms of you know, giving away some free posters. Nana coin. Coins, yeah, the Nana coin. coin. Very happy to receive that. And you can actually go, like, multiple times. If you wanted the other coin, you could do it, too, with the same email, so. I didn't, nice. but I thought about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is weird coming from someone who's met uh, the creator of Danmachi, but I was not that invested to get a Danmachi mm-hmm. coin. Well, I got it, so <laughs> works out but, yeah, I mean, speaking of the Machi, yeah, they announced the dub for the first set of that. Dub, obviously, for Made in Abyss is the current season, which is actually coming in August, so it's actually going to come out soon. But, yeah, they just announced a lot of other dub for their recent stuff, but also that August is going to come to their catalog in the fall. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think that High Dive had a very good presence this weekend. It's like, you know, a cool industry group that's doing a lot of cool stuff. Their marketing team, Star and Hunters, who are really cool people. They have a lot of energy. Yeah, they have a lot of energy and enthusiasm. So they really did a great job, like, in seeing the Gaiji screening and 
for the hideout panel. So, yeah, uh, I think they had a good presence this weekend. If they didn't like me getting show ratings announcements, I think they got a lot of excitement for high dive and all their new guns and stuff. Yeah, that was cool. And then the last panel we did on Friday was the Miyazaki for Baby panel by Tom O'Keefe, and I thought that was a really cool panel. I just like learning more about Miyazaki's early pre-given stuff, some of which I knew of and have lost, some of which I was not really aware of. So it gave me a lot of cool things to want to go check out, as well as some great reading uh, recommendations to learn more about his career, too. Yeah, I agree. It was a good panel. Yeah. I mean, are there any other, like, Friday activities you want to talk about? One thing I mentioned is that I did produce Artist Alley on Friday. And that's an Artist Alley. Are, it actually seemed to have a lot of space in terms of walking space. So I was appreciative of that. Of course, there's a lot of people there. So depending on the time, especially in the evening, it was a little crowded. Actually, you know, on Friday, you guys were there. You were looking for a particular vendor. To get something for yeah, uh, Q Monster. Yeah, which if funny enough, like their booth was like right at the end of the, the yeah. room in the corner, so like it went all the way from the top left of the room all the way to the yeah. very end of their thing was the very end. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, it was a journey, but I, mean, I got to see a lot of nice stuff. There, there was like a Grebo hat that I wanted, but oh. by the time I I didn't get it on Friday, and then I came back Saturday, it was gone. So. There is so much cool stuff. Yeah. You know, I appreciate the variety of different merch and prints offered. Like, there were so many <laughs> cool plushie vendors. Like, a Pride Plushies was a vendor that was making, like, these cool custom plushies that I really liked. There was a custom plushie that another vendor had. It's for Sylveon and Evie, I think. Uh, there were a lot of cool tote bags. Like, one tote bag that I really liked that I, I didn't get, but... I really appreciate it. It was like this Pokeball tote bag, which is like, you know, Magikarp and a Pokeball. You know, that was really funny. Um, there's like a lot of vendors who were like selling cool like shirts and fashion apparel. I definitely got some shirts from a vendor that had like this really cool Spy Family shirt and some Jujutsu Kaisen shirts. I got their non one. I, thinking about it, I wonder if I should have gone to Yuji because Yuji could fit like my general movie-going experiences, but I was a fan of Nami, and it was, it was a color that I don't usually wear, so happy to get that. Uh, I did a lot of my shopping at Arbor's Alley just on Sunday, knowing that uh, I didn't want to necessarily spend right on the first day of the con. I wanted to wait. The only thing I got on a Friday was there was this one vendor who has had this Princess Jellyfish print, and it was the only one I saw in the entire artist alley, and they only had one left, and I didn't know if they would have it the rest of the weekend, so I got from there, and also got from there their Team Rocket print, and they're not a print, they're also the only vendor that I'm not a print, so, yeah, like, got that on Friday, and then the rest of my artist alley shopping, and I only shopped in artist alley, so I didn't do any other shopping. I did on Sunday, and I got a few cool things uh, from series I don't see represented often, like Satch Bell, and Wodakoi and like the vendor that had like a flatjack print that was cool, uh, as well as some other ones that they had some Pokemon ones that I got as well alongside that. And also beyond prints, I got like a cool Yasha acrylic stand plus keychain, 
and uh, that, that's uh, a nice plushie for my friend, and also a cool Sailor Moon joke bag. So, yeah, I, kinda, I appreciate like a variety of stuff offered at Arza this year, and I thought they were all cool things. And also a lot of cards that people whose work I want to follow and uh, look into next time as well. I mean, do or did you have any impressions or style or skaki check anymore? Thoughts on our style? Uh, really? I mean, art style seemed pretty nice. I didn't buy anything from it, just because, like, I don't really have any place to put art, I feel. But yeah. it was cool seeing all the variety of, like, the oh, other drawings. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Danny. Hmm? Yeah. Oh, oh yes. yeah, the Danny DeVito picture. There was, like, an art show at the very back of the art gallery, and mm-hmm. um, I didn't go through there, but to talk to the we did. We got a close look at it. It was like we we're trying to figure out if it was all just references to always sunny. I think saw, it was. They had the, the had the rum ham. Yes, and uh, but yeah, it looked like it was. It was basically him dressed as like I guess Jesus. Yeah, with the halo and everything like that, and just like different objects from always sunny around him. It was. It's just unfortunate they didn't allow pictures to be taken because well, it's an art show. Mm-hmm. So when we went back. Today was gone, so yeah. I think they had the show, and somebody hopefully have found a happy home. That's what, but yeah, as far as artists, Ellie, I mean, we got stickers and a mob. A mob? We got a mob sticker. Got, yeah, oh, the Yeah, oh. you. Oh, yeah, I have, and again, it's in my suitcase, so I don't want to take it out right now. I'll probably do it after we finish recording on the it's a odd taxi poster about the same size yeah. as that one, yeah. and it's actually really cool. It has all of the characters involved with the, the mystery on a train, but like the train kind of snakes around the the poster. So yeah, that was pretty cool. There was like a cute, a couple um hidden uh like details in there that you probably won't get until like after you see it. The actual series, I mean, like you have fun to. But, oh, yeah. Like, I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but also if you haven't seen it, you should. Yeah. It's actually really good. The vendor, it's like, they remind me, well, she was buying her stuff, they remind me that the last volume of the manga came out in Japan, so I'm reading it. And the vendor was like, oh, you can read that? Oh, she was really into it. She didn't read that. So that was really nice. Yeah, so, she's the one who's going to be at Sierra Yeah, too, so probably so. oh, cool. more stuff from her then, I guess. Yeah, she has a. <laughs> Really cute art. Yeah, I really she like had, the uh, show when I She yeah, has great. She also had like Spy Family, yeah. a couple more. We got the, the really cute Dragon Ball stickers from her. It's like Krillin and Goku delivering the milk. Oh, nice. And so, yeah. And Pokemon and One Piece were just like. Oh, yeah, the One Piece one was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, what was a Pokemon? It was Kirby. Oh, well, there was a one piece one, I think. Yeah, there was one. No, no, I, was, oh, I said Pokemon. Not one piece. I said Pokemon oh, and there one was piece. A... There was a Pokemon one there, yes. but we got one piece in Kirby. You got, like, it yeah. was buy three, get one, and so we both bought, bought like, each other stuff, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, she had a good art style. And... Nice. Yeah, art style had a lot of cool stuff. A yeah. lot of good variety. Yeah, I'm very pleased in there. And, yeah, I think that, you know, it's a great place to be. It's a little disconnected from viewers, so it's like one extreme, one end to the other to walk to, but, you know. There's no sign, so it's really hard to find. That, too, (laughs) yeah. Like, I think at one point, 
so Happy and I were going down to the dealer's room and there was a girl like asking around like, Wait, is this going to Artist Alley or dealer's room? And I was like, Dealer's room. She's like, oh, damn, sorry. And then she like ran the other way. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean like, yeah, it, it's not too bad once you get like the right. hang of it. Like, you know, if you turn right then you're going to the dealer's room and then if you go to Artist Alley. But yeah, like if you're not really thinking, like you could end up turning the wrong yeah. way and it's it is kind of annoying, but I mean, at least crowds were not as bad as anime and I see, so. Yeah. Yeah, but it, yeah, it can be a little it is tough when yeah. you're not in the same space. But, like, go with separate places to do your, your shopping needs and all that. Yeah. yeah. But that about does it for Friday. I, what if I wanted to stay at least to say hi to Corey from Type of Podcast and Lightning Warriors, who is doing. His sports anime, you don't know panel, but we have to be balanced for that because uh, these guys want to go home yeah. and get dinner, even though only Bueller and I got dinner. But, yeah, yeah, that was Friday. Yeah, that was Friday. Yeah, that was Friday. And then Saturday was mostly discotheque related stuff. Yeah, and we day. had Denpa in the morning. Yeah, and the rest of the day was discotheque. And Denpa, the big thing out of that was a poor short game. Mitsuru Adachi, and wow, what a home run! Like really, that Ed hit out of the park there. So yeah, I mean, we got Adachi in English. Uh, Adachi was pretty winning on Saturday, I would yeah. say. Yeah. 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 It really about the, the Saturday night. It's not shocking. The discotheque portion of the day was kind of just like a discotheque binge, really. True. Because yeah. we had like Project Eco 2, which yeah. was amazing. I didn't, it was fun. I, it was fun. I, the restoration, I think, was brought up. I feel like film itself, was like, oh, it's a slower paced and not as dense as the original. Like, it took a while to get going to the little, to the actual like plot of the Daiko Kuji group or whatever. I guess, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it still has, like, all the chaos, though, that I was looking for. Yeah, by the end, especially. It was pretty yeah. fun. Space Battleship Seiko, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> Space Battleship Seiko. Seiko's dad also dressing yeah. up. Yeah, also, I too. learned that there were, like, I knew of Aiko Wars, but I didn't know there were, like, five or six of them. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that until... I, like, I didn't either, honestly. Like, I knew, because they announced that they got two. And I was like, oh, okay. And then they mentioned, like, three and four, and I was yeah. like, wait, how many are there? <laughs> yeah, there are four main ones, and there's, like, some spin-off ones. But, yes, three, actually, uh, the new version of that, the really said, I come, come later this fall, so uh, fast turn around. Yeah, and then we uh, saw the Gunbuster dub. Yeah, well, actually, before Gunbuster, I want to just mention that I attended Megan Bridgeton Shredder's uh, Century Japanese Stop Motion, Rudolph to Rakuma. And it was a fantastic, a fascinating look at a Japanese stop motion and stop motion animators, and just the chronicle of how animation in Japan developed uh, over a long period of time. And stop motion is actually Japan's oldest uh, animation art form, so it's super cool to learn that history, learn the key figures who pioneered the art form, and all the way up to the current productions and who is leading modern Japanese stop motion in the industry today. So, fantastically researched pattern that gave me a lot of stuff that I wanted to check out. And Megan always does a great job in the research and presentation of the panel. So, definitely want to give her a shout out. Also, I will give a shout out to the Oski panel that I attended just before ACO. And uh, that I did not 
stay for the full thing, of course, because I had to go to Aiko. But yeah, it was always good to hear from Evan talking about some updates on the app. You know, sounds like they're gonna add a few new uh, enhancements to it soon. Give some updates on when we can expect the new Simulpod, Sleepy Killer, and Detective Diaries. Basically, late August for both of them, essentially. And yeah, so that was pretty cool. Also, an interesting anecdote about what happened with the Kadansha Simulpod, like just some. So them putting it on pause for a month just as they were like figuring out what it, they were wanting to do or working on some licensing things and the fact that during the whole process they were like edit uh, on his and was like sending emails to this also like keep moving their evidence going on. So that was kind of an interesting anecdote about that whole situation but we still really don't know why or what happened there. But yeah. And also I couldn't live tweet that like I normally would because my phone was running out of power and my charging cord, I guess, got fried, so I could not, you know, keep it charged. So it's a miracle that it lasted me. I'm so thankful it lasted me the Furukawa interview because it was so worried. It was like under 10% when I went into the Furukawa interview. So I'm so glad that it just lasted me that until I finally got to begin it guys and I get more charging point but yeah and then Gunbuster we saw the dub that premiere was fantastic they got you know some real fresh talent to be in the dub and they gave great performances it was like super funny but also really could get sincere and emotional and it was just a joy to watch you know it's clearly like a, a fun homage and parody to you know classic sports like in days but reconfigured in the mecha and sci-fi genre. Uh, so it's both like kind of loving very true, but also just a sincere, heartfelt story about like uh, hard working hard, achieving uh, ambition and also kind of reconciling with a little bit of trauma and grief. So I really, really had a blast with it. And this little science, fake scientist and then it was super fun. And then little cute chibi style. And I appreciate it again. They Set out to get like kind of classic voice actors, recognize them as legal artists, and then of course these cool new actors who really body like the, the core cast very well. Yeah, it was a well done dub. I mean, it was nice yeah. seeing Lisa Ortiz especially. Yeah. Um, but the entire cast like was solid, mm-hmm. and like the the science lessons were really funny because like they use some science equations that are actual real stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then there's stuff that just completely That is just they're like their fake made up <laughs> nonsense and stuff. It's like they start out with the scientists and it's like, oh, okay. And then like you look at their um birth and like the death dates and they start going off on like tangents and stuff and you're just like, what? Like, hold on, this doesn't seem yeah. right. I mean, science <laughs> isn't my best subject. It's actually like, probably my worst. But like, even me like looking at this, I was like, wait, like, I know it's from the 80s, and they didn't know what was going to happen in, like, 40 years in the future, but, like, yeah, I don't know, it's like, I, I, like, how do they even just come up with those things? Like, I know it's sci-fi, but it's just, I don't know, it's kind of amusing. Yeah, and I really like the framing of it is, like, asking Yoriko, like, hey, do you know this thing? And then, like, when she get something right, you know, she gets pissed, but also when she's not quite right, you know, Amino's like, they're saying, oh, not quite, but here's this, 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 you get it? And then Norco was like, uh, not really. 
So I like that dynamic and interplay between them two. And the coach also popping up to like chastise her and saying, Oh, you're not doing a good job of explaining this, or I need to hear more about this. It's also funny. I, I like the, the second episode where like he just comes out and then he's just like getting like mad at them, like, No, 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 that's not how you teach it. But then at the end, he's like, You're doing a great job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that second episode is why we had to wear 18 plus face pants. Yeah. yeah. This entire scene in the back where all the girls fake as they put But it was a lot of fun. First time watching Gunbuster uh, definitely Same. made me excited yeah, to exactly. watch the rest. Yeah. And then basically, right after the Gunbuster panel was the discotheque panel where they made a ton of fantastic announcements. I mean, the big one, they say, for the end, of course, and the big one, uh, of course, was the one that left me starstruck and gave me a shock, and that was Yursi Atsura. They did it. Those crazy bastards, those man men of the Skadek, uh, those darling, darling people, they did it. They licensed the entire TV series, releasing in four sets in 2023 on Blu-ray. Uh, just fantastic. It definitely... Left me kind of just speechless in the moment, though. Definitely not the, the room, because there are a lot of people who are very enthusiastic oh, and definitely wanted to be heard. Uh, one guy in particular who was so loud that my, Mike was telling me just uh, today that, oh, uh, you know, they actually got complaints about that guy and yeah, how loud he yelled. Oh, yeah. oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, but was eating really good. Like, yeah. now I have no excuse not to watch the series. Same. People are not ever saying now at this point there's no reason for them not to get you off. Please. If you do a series as long as you're seriously out there, yeah, you should be able to invest in your art. Or at, the, you, at the very least give us you know, reissue monster. Or give yeah, us my yeah, monster Coco. monster feels like something we should something. definitely go for. And a Coco if like they yeah. can do your say, hopefully a Coco will be on the way. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I mean, University Author was like the big, big announcement. Uh, is there any other highlights from the panel? One thing that was really cool is that they announced they're officially doing a Toku imprint, Toku Time. And they announced a title that got a lot of people galvanized and have a space chair of Gabon. And yeah, I guess this is a very, very uh, beloved Toku series in the community. It makes me excited to get out for sure. Yeah. And I guess the one that surprised me was. Uh... Shaman King's Japanese version being a proper Blu-ray. Yeah, no, like, upscale to HD and everything. That's exciting. Oh, that was beautiful. The oh, magic gosh. of Astrores. Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely got curious about Machine World Battle Hacker at this time. Yes, yeah. Oh, the City Hunter movies and specials, which I think people were kind of confused about when the trailers were playing because it's not a big reaction. But then when Revelation was like, oh, it's the movies, that's when people got excited. Yeah. So I like that. I'm glad that they have licensed Rescue Nostradamus. 
yeah. to get that. And I'm excited for Gaikin. That got a lot of reaction in the crowd and our classic mecha series. Mm-hmm. On a good, proper SD Blu-ray. Yeah. yeah. I am looking forward to the release of Flying Fanship. It's going to have Same. an English dub and a commentary from Mike Joel and Dave Merrill. That's really exciting. And, yeah, also their new Sherlock Hound uh, release on Blu-ray. Oh, really kind of mad. Features is amazing. Like, a thousand, wow. like, pieces of art. That's a, that's insane. And also the lost HBO English dub. Oh, yeah. Holy crap. Like, I definitely got to catch out those. I mean, especially after that Miyazaki Nice timing in a lot of different ways, right? Because yours the outs right now same convention for Okawa is that? Like that is uh, serendipitous there. But this Go Deck Day, just a highlight. I think it was a highlight of a lot of people's uh, con weekend. It wasn't the end of our Saturday because I definitely did want to attend one of Corey's panels, so we attended Corey and Helen's girls who make boys manga and that was a lot of fun they highlight a lot of really cool artists could have definitely used more specific discussion on takahashi which i, I told Corey about later and no kakashi no I, yeah. I also told Corey like hey you know my friends were like uh, saying no oh, you should include yellow tsunami of course it, he actually has included yellow tsunami in previous editions uh just she got cut for time and also oh, kumayasha was picked up as another person that oh could have been mentioned also just uh, didn't end up making it out of Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, no. It was Yeah. Uh, it's great having uh, potted with Corey a few times. And, yeah. Oh, that meeting him last year. It's great to meet up with him again and chat with him. See their panel for the first time, too. And that is basically our Saturday experience, unless there was any straight odds and ends that we had covered if you guys want to. We can get into Sunday then, which is pretty quick and straightforward to us, and we actually covered most of it already. I will say that a highlight that we have not gone over, because we started the day with the Furukawa uh, and having a voice acting panel, then we went separate ways, you went uh, to, to prepare, you went to, you guys went to the dealers, and then you went to the I party. went to get coffee, because yes. during Furukawa, I was like falling asleep at one point, because yeah. I was so You were up late, I guess one thing we haven't talked about is that over the weekend, you've also been working on building Sakaki PCs, yeah. so yesterday. It's, uh, it's been taking longer than expected, because I think I, I don't think I got Sakaki the most compatible fan. Well, Even I mean, though that's what PC Part Picker told me to get, I, I don't know. I mean, well, if you screwed me over computer-wise, the PC will still be amazing, though. I mean, the one that you recommended to me while we were recording blue screen. So that's really... <laughs> I, didn't look up, I didn't look the specs closely on that one. <laughs> this would really sum up this, my entire experience with this computer. Okay, <laughs> anyways, explain the PC building process here. I started on Friday when, like, uh, we got here, and like, um, actually, fr- Friday, Thursday, Thursday, Thursday yeah. when we got here, and um, I noticed that, okay, everything's going fine, I have the CPU and I have the RAM in, and then I tried to put in Sakaki CPU cooler, and then I realized, huh, this isn't fitting, and when I look it up on Google, apparently, newer CPUs of the type that Sakaki's motherboard is compatible with need a completely different bracket that usually is not included with CPU fans. 
And usually you can get it for free if you want to wait a few weeks, but we didn't have that amount of time. So I was like, okay, I'll get it off Amazon. And luckily it came yesterday, Saturday. And so I installed it, but it took quite a while because, like, to install, I basically had to take apart the pre-built CPU fan and mod it so that it actually works. And, like, mainly it was just screwing things in, but these are very tiny screws, and, like, then there's, like, a wire rack you have to do to reattach the body of the heat sink to the fans, and it, it was just very annoying, and someone with big hands, it's kind of just not, it's not the easiest thing to do. And, yeah, and then today, Sunday, we went to go get, I mean, we're on the final steps, at least. We got the Ethernet cable and the thumb, I don't know, I if, yeah, it, it is, is a thumb drive. drive. Yeah. So, so when I said that, like the guy was like, when we went to Best Buy, I said, "Oh, where are the thumb drives?" The guy was like, "Oh, what? It, it's interchangeable." Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah, I mean that, that's just because like we need to essentially install Windows on the PC, and I didn't bring a flash drive. Okay. Right. I mean that's fair enough. I mean, yeah. It wasn't very expensive. But, like, yeah. yeah, you were up late last night working on that. You're going to be up late tonight, I'm sure, finishing that. I mean, the, luckily, the remaining parts are the parts I'm the most confident about not messing up. Right. Okay. So, hopefully, we can at least test it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. we can test it. But while sure. you were getting coffee, Sakaki, Jackie, you guys are back in dealers. Yeah. yeah. I'm just chilling and hanging out. Yeah. Any yeah. experiences you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, mostly we just kind of walked around. Yeah. I mean, I, that was when I bought um, Go 10 2. It was at that point. I mean, one of our good, I guess we should shout out our good friend, Tommy. Yeah. 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 He he runs Retro Psycho, which is a you know they sell a lot of like older games, older things. But yeah, older media. Me- older media. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, we didn't mention that they had um uh, Laserdisc or like Detective Conan's oh, movies yeah. and uh, Lupin. Mm-hmm. So and they had Rusei Yasser all of the movies on Laserdisc. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. So yeah, I mean. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you no, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, it's, we, I'd recommend it if you just like old games. I mean, that's also where we got the um, weeds. Yeah, they have the games, the CDs, they have uh, the laser disc, and they also have uh, little charms and like buttons, like the pins. They can do like little, um, mostly it's like shoujo stuff or like maho shoujo, and like they have like a bunch of different series, but like, and the idol stuff. Yeah, yeah, idol stuff uh, too. I mean, they had like CDs, different CDs, like just soundtracks from games or anime, yeah. and sometimes just singers, you know, that have affiliated with that. I mean, mainly I've been visiting them, visiting them over different cons to complete my Super Bomberman collection. But <laughs> in the last con, I bought Super Bomberman 1 and 2, and I already had it. So unfortunately, I didn't have Super Bomberman 1, which is the last one I need. So I guess I'm going to do theirs. But yeah, that we went there, um, and then we went back to Artist Alley. Kind of, I mean, we didn't buy anything else, so yeah, and then that was pretty much it. And then at that point, we went to we went to the AMV yeah, uh, non-finalist <laughs> one. We didn't stay for too long. I think we stayed we started at two. We stayed about a half hour. Yeah, and there were a couple that were like okay, and then I don't Which, know. This is like. Check as the AMV console. Dr. Jekyll, which one was the worst? Yeah, this <laughs> the one was the last worst. Yeah, oh yeah, they, oh, they yeah. had one. They so, had one that was like. So the last one that we were there for, like, there were 
was a couple of them we were just like, oh god, I hate this song. Or like, <laughs> there's like a certain parts of like, like some anime that like, we don't really like too much. And normally like, we, like, we were kind of like trying to keep like an open mind and stuff. And then they got to a My Hero Academia <laughs> AMV that was basically a shipping thing between uh, Bakugo and Deku, oh. except like oh. <laughs> point of view, or like that's what that's what it was like titled or something. And I was like, okay, but then like it got weird. <laughs> it's like I don't weird. know. I don't, I don't know. It, maybe that's not the right word. I, it's like I like I like them both, but like once normally I'm like okay with like. Shipping of any kind, but I don't know. It just feels weird when they try to put Deku and Bakugo together. I'm like, why? Why? Like, I don't. It's not my favorite ship. I will just say that. You know what? We're just gonna leave it at that. And it, I don't know. It, also, the song wasn't doing it for us. <laughs> yeah. That was and, um, I don't know. Like, there was a Yuri on Ice one, which was actually pretty good. And I don't like Yuri on Ice. Yeah. No, I like that. I mean, yeah. It, it, and, like, they picked a decent song, and I was like, well, I mean, if I had to choose something to be part of the finalists, like, out of the ones that we watched, it would probably be that one. There was a couple other ones that I I saw what they were going for, but there wasn't, like, there was something like co- missing. There was a cohesion, which were some of them were kind of off. Yeah. Like, the editing was a little bit, like... I don't want to, I mean, again, I know nothing about AMV creation, and I don't want to make it Like, sound I'm not like saying that I'm, like, <laughs> the best one, but, like, when I, when I, like, watch something, and I'm like, yeah, that was actually pretty good, or, like, the song fits really well, then usually I'm like, that was, like, a really good AMV, and I'll come to it again, like, sometime later, but, I mean, most of the ones that I saw there, I wasn't really feeling it, I don't know, like, mm-hmm. that's probably why it made for picked as, like, the finalists, but, I mean, they weren't bad at all, yeah. like, there was actually one AMV that, like, some of the clips didn't look as HD as, like, the rest of the show, uh, the rest of the AMV, so I was kind of wondering, like, where did you get this footage from when, like, the rest of it looks, like, 1080, and this one's, like, 480. Just rip randomly off. <laughs> that's what we like. That's what I joked about. But like, it might have been. I mean, maybe. And I mean, that one was actually one of the better. Like, yeah, ones. like the one that actually fit pretty well. The yeah, song. they had like a bunch of different, and it had several different. It was things. a various one. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, there was one that at the very start that was you said it was an Imagine Dragons song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but was, it was a cover. Of, oh, cover. It was um Warriors. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and a was, lot of people have been using that song. I'm getting kind of sick of it. There you go. That's but it, it, like that one. That was the first one that like yeah. I watched, and I was like, something's off here. It's not bad, but like it needs something else. I could not say what it was because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, after that we kind of came after the game. We kind of came out. We saw a good time. Oh, yeah. There was, like, a a blanket. I actually have pictures. Maybe I should post it. But, like, they came out with, like, a bacon-shaped blanket. And it was, like, even colored as such. And, like, she, like, the the Gudetama had, like, a skirt on, too. And they they put the bacon on top, like, right where her waist is. And she's, like, posing. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, so... We saw that from the top where we had to run mm-hmm. downstairs. That's how great it yeah, was. Yeah, it was like, so. I was like, let's go down before they move. And I'm like, okay. 
I, mean, I don't we think both, they would. Well, yeah, we were both saying, no, there's probably not. Because, like, people were stopping taking pictures. Yeah. They, they deliberately right. put themselves on the side so they're not in the way. And, like, when we, we went out, we were started looking up, like, panels for CRX, and they were still, people were sitting beside her, too, and taking pictures. Oh. And so, like, yeah. So then we started, and we just kind of hung out there for a while, and then, like, I guess uh, Goku, Goku, yeah, Goku started powering up, like, yelling, and everybody was yelling with him. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it was pretty cool, because someone was like, Son Goku, Son Goku, and I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> and, like, um, he had a, he had, like, a puzzle on, sort of, and, like, he had oh. blades all over his arms. Wow. And, like, that was pretty cool, and then, like, maybe, like, Three minutes later, he's still on the steps because everybody keeps stopping and taking pictures. And he's like, he, that's when he starts yelling. And then people are like, what's going on? But then, like, quickly they join in. And Sakaki and I are just standing there, like, what the hell they're, they're is trying, going on? They're trying to make a kinky That's comment. funny. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> it's like, like, it's kind of like at the concert where. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. yeah. It makes me think, I mean, not to go too far back, that was like with Sentai, I mean, that's, I like you calling Sentai, Disco Tech, when everybody was like clapping along to one of the yeah. songs. Yeah, like, yeah, oh my god. Yeah, There was a new Toku a kaiju film at the end. Yes, yes, yes. In that trailer, there's like a guy singing like a country song, yeah, and people are clapping around to the song. country song. Yeah. And then, like, started it. And they were all clapping, and then Mike was like, we didn't plan this. That surprised them, yeah, they really appreciated that. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I love that like we did it first and like they showed it on the screen of the people in the movie actually like coming. Yeah, <laughs> that was great too. It's like the crowd did it and not knowing that the movie people were else coming around. You could tell they were like trying to figure out the timing too. Yeah. Like because at one point I was like, wait, hold on, when are we doing this? And then like everybody quickly like joined in. Like whoever wasn't already doing it, like we just like jumped in. <laughs> like double dutch. That was fun. It was so cool. Uh, the discotheque crowd is just yeah. so energized and also on the same page, enthusiastic. It just makes the experience so yeah. fun to be there. So Maybe it goes overboard at the end with Sometimes, like, generally, you gotta appreciate just the passion. Yeah. Like, every announcement, there's like a crowd of people there was like, yes! I'm so excited for that. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's always great. Speaking of, like, you should have, like, I, I should have realized that as soon as he said, like, no, it was only the one, not the two. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. started leaving, and I was just like, no, you don't have this go No, they were like Smash Brothers. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> to be fair, I'm like, it's getting kind of late. And, like, plus we went overtime, too, so I was, yeah. like, scared that, like, they were going to come in and be like, okay, everybody out. But then he's like, wait, no, 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 one more. And I'm like, oh, jeez, they fell for it. <laughs> I was got to get you at the last gotcha. They always say the one of the biggest for like, last. Honestly, like, I, I honestly was not expecting it. I mean, like, no. I was expecting something, but not, not I, as, like, not that, honestly. No. Especially I mean, since people have been asking for it for years, ever yeah. since they started putting out the movies. Yeah, so that was no like one could predict when, yeah. and also they haven't finished putting out the movie, so I, yeah, I, I, know. I really thought it was like, oh, it's going to be after the movie. Yeah, same. Yeah. I thought that too. Yeah. Like, movie 6, and it's like, okay, and we got this one. It's like, nope. Yeah. 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 But no, the, Otakon is their con, uh, you know, they save their biggest stuff for that, I and mean, Gunbuster was announced here last year. They saved another equally big one in your answer for this year so I appreciate that and that's 
again, I was just stunned. Solid. It was like felt like surreal almost. It was like, oh, am am I? Did you pinch myself? Am I trapped in a beautiful dream? You know. Uh, so many people on Twitter were asking if you were okay, asking me. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, no. I, I looked over to make sure. I saw you tweeting. I was like, yeah, no, they're okay. I I speaking no, of I Twitter, like. Somebody did ask, like, wow, how are they going to top it off? And then Mike told us, like, oh, wait until next time. And I was like, oh, God, no, stop. No, Chill. We, we, we're we still recovering from this. Yeah, like, I, I mean, there's always holy grails and always I something know. to be signed for. So, I mean, they're doing incredible work. Uh, yeah. I appreciate them just bringing back all these beloved classics to us. Yeah. And, yeah. So... Was there anything else about like your guys's experience uh, today uh, or s- Sunday rather? I mean, not really. After we avoided getting our energy sucked to destroy Frieza, <laughs> um, we just waited outside, and that's where he met us. So, yeah, yeah and mean, so yeah. you know where our paths diverged. As we learned is that I attended the Motonobu Hori panel. He's the director of. Carol and Tuesdays, Super oh, yes. and Napping Princess, which Napping Princess didn't come at all during the Q&A, but if I had, uh, no, I regret not asking to interview him. I didn't because I had not watched Carol and Tuesday at Super That's Club. the same reason I didn't yeah. ask about it. But actually, he is such a fascinating animator. I'm no, you're fine. I actually, I do actually own and have seen Napping Princess. Yeah, I know. But we, I mean, the, well. yeah, it's, that's the only thing I know. Like, Carol and Tuesday kind of, like, you know, the fandom always scares people with them. That was one of them. I so. mean, it was a pretty big weekend for Carol and Tuesday fans because not only was Hori yeah. here, but also Celia and the uh, yeah. singing actress at Tuesday was here. Yeah, they were um, signing autographs while I was waiting yeah. for. And they were doing interviews, so I was actually talking to Rai, and they were here. They were two of their interviews, and they especially had questions for Hori on some stuff involving, like, gender identity uh, in Carolyn Tuesday that they they had some qualms about that they really wanted to ask, and apparently asked it very successfully. They were telling me uh, as we were waiting for Furukawa, so, yeah, I was definitely interested in Hori like after hearing them talk about their experience like interviewing them so I attended the, the Q&A with Hori today he's such an interesting animator you know he's had like a, such a interesting story career in animation he's worked with a lot of incredible really talented directors like Asama Kubayashi and Shinichiro Watanabe and it was just like fascinating kind of hearing like his role as an animation as a key animator all the way up to director and in particular how he views the relationship between animation and music and for him like music is so essential to what makes animation successful like in his own words he says 50 percent of what makes uh, an animation great is like the music so Knowing that background of his, and then he has just such glowing praise for Kobayashi in particular, and his experiences being mentored by him and working under him, particularly on Beck, which is a show I love. So I'm super, super keen to hear his insights and his story. He was so like eloquent, and so I was really feeling, man, I, I gotta watch more of this guy's works, and I love to actually have that opportunity to interview him the next time he comes. And he definitely wants to come, because he mentioned, you know, this was his first time coming to Otakon as, like, invited as a director. And uh, he's had to kind of mention this before with Kobayashi, but, you know, he said he 
was really humble by students. He was moved that the fans were like so knowledgeable and passionate. Uh, really did the research, and also that you know fans, uh, you know, cosplaying his characters made him really happy. So yeah, he, he wants to come back, and that makes me excited. I definitely want to do the, the work of like watching his shows now, and also doing more research on him because he seemed like such a really, really interesting animator uh, with a really great perspective on animation and, and its interplay with music. Uh, so absolutely super, super interesting. And especially his thoughts on Kobayashi and what Kobayashi did to evolve like kind of the intersection of animation and music and how it's portrayed in anime in particular. So that was a fascinating Q&A panel that I did uh, tread on that I know some people who couldn't make the panel were very happy I did. So I would love to be a service to them. But yeah, after that is when I took my artist alley little shopping trip and met back with you, Lord, for the trigger Q&A. And after that, it was basically the end of the con. Everything ends at 3 p.m. So that was the last panel of the day. Everything else ended around the same time. We went home, and that's basically our old con experience. Is there any other, like, stray thoughts or experiences at old con that you want to bring up before we drive to the park? Um, I guess the only thing I would say is, like, one thing I really forgot about on Sunday was that I actually did go in for part of the panel before the Trigger live drawing, oh. which was, uh, about, uh, Harmi Fujita and Takiro Uzutani, both of which I believe were even guests at Otakon this year. Oh. Um, Uzutani is, like, uh, he did, like, most of the music on Metal, Metal Gear Solid and the Bayonetta games. Mm, I forgot Fujita was going to be there, too, because she did, she did a lot of like she did Chip and Dale, Messy Rangers, yeah. and yeah, soundtrack. Final Fight, Mega yeah. Man 3. Yeah. Yeah, so it was really cool. One thing that I was surprised to learn is that Izutani is fluent in English. Oh, that's oh. cool. Yeah, so he, he answered all the questions very eloquently. He talked about, like, the software that he uses to, like, make his music. Fujita also kind of, like, talked about her inspirations as well. Izutani's a big fan of The Last of Us. Which I guess makes sense because he composes Metal Gear Solid music, so mm-hmm. checks out. Yeah, it, it was nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, and I, I guess it also kind of reminded me, like, man, Otakon got a lot of really big guests this year. Yeah, that they did. Like for every kind of walk of range, like uh, they also have the Snafu author. Uh, yeah, I don't really author, talk yeah. about any Snafu stuff, but they had basically like the entire key production. Team and that's not yeah, including an editor from Shogaku. Yeah, so you know, if we were more Snafu fans, that'd have been really interesting to go to. Yeah, I mean, I went to the panel. It was nice. Oh. They went through. We like, went to the, the panel. When was this? I went to the panel. Yeah. When did you do this? I think it was Saturday yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Before uh, going to, I didn't go into that. Go. Um, okay. The gist of it is essentially uh, the Snafu staff kind of went through the process of like Wafuji uh, Sensei making Snafu as a series. The gist of it's essentially, like, he saw romance stories around that was like, hey, I can do it better. Mm-hmm. Which he did. But, like, um, he went through that process, and then the editors and producers found the work, and they wanted to make it into an anime. And they just kind of talked about, like, how every each person got involved. And they kind of answered questions about, like, hey, would uh, you ever do an isekai? Because do you think you could do an isekai better? And, like, when he thinks these guys on a roll die and stuff. And kind of just his thoughts about his character process and stuff. And he was, like, known for being very character-driven. 
and yeah, I, overall it was like really nice. And even as someone who's not like a huge Snafu fan, mainly because I haven't seen or read that much of it, it was still uh, really insightful. Yeah. And he also said that uh, there's more Snafu projects in the works. So the people so. that want that final season, uh, you, you'll probably get it. Yeah, so they invited that entire crew there <laughs> for a reason, even though they didn't announce anything. Uh, yeah, that that's pretty cool and interesting. Yeah, glad you were able to go to that and report back to us on it. Yeah, the only downside to that is like the room that that was in Panel Room Seven. It's like a dead zone for T-Mobile. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Panel Room Seven was like the most challenging to get service at and tweet things yeah. out at. Because I would have loved to live tweet that panel because like there's a lot of really good questions, but like there was literally no way I could have done it. Yeah. It had the worst service in any of the rooms, in my opinion and impression of it, for sure. Yeah. I remember being that bad last year. I remember, I think there was, like, some areas that had poor connection mm-hmm. to others Yeah. Year. I think, yeah, that might have been the room last year that yeah. I had internet trouble on. I will say, it was interesting. I feel like the screening room was smaller for you know, discotheque stuff this year than last year. It might have been. I, I think, think it yeah, was, because, like, the space, it was, like, twice as big as the new site. Yeah, I think that was the case. The right side, though, is the industry panel got a bigger room. The, yeah, the industry panel got a much bigger room. They gave it panel four, which is, like, yeah. the biggest room on that floor for panels. Yeah, which, I mean, they definitely use a good chunk of the space, so. Oh, definitely. It was filled up, for sure. Yeah, it's one of the most full panels we were. And there were a lot of panels that were not that full that were in the bigger panel rooms, but like Discotech was full, the trigger ones were full. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, ACO, I don't think filled up. It got pretty close to full, but I don't think they turned people away. Gunbuster got but packed. But Gunbuster up. got packed. That was a huge line. Yeah. Some people even got turned away because they didn't have any closer span. Yeah. So there was even more people in line than. Yeah. Actually, even we're in the cap. No, yeah, a lot of uh, enthusiasm to see on the series. Fashion, yeah. And any other stray things we haven't mentioned yet for you guys? Um, I know Evan was sitting behind us. Yeah, that was the only thing. <laughs> we actually were in a lot of panels uh, with Evan. I mean, yeah. that trigger panel we ended on. Evan asked a question at it. Adults, it is on live tweeting up. And actually, I actually did talk to Evan, you know, obviously I attended the Oski panel, but also I sat right next to Evan and we talked a little bit during the, over as we were reading for Megan's panel to start. So yeah, it was pretty nice. Evan liked our coverage of Kaikara with the Light. Uh, so he thanked us for that. And we got talking about kind of, you know, the upcoming Simon Pops. Including uh, interesting stuff about the title of Detective Diaries, you know, how the Misko's case files, you know, it's not derived from any part of the Japanese title. It's, you know, that part isn't there. It's just like part of what they came up with the localization. That was cool to talk to him about. Also, talk to him just about how the QA went, because obviously I missed that to go to ACO, some of the questions that he got asked and stuff. So that was pretty cool. And I had a chat with that. I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I guess on that subject, you know, any other people that we have met up with the con you enjoy talking to. Another person, you know, we were in conference a lot with were with Mike. Uh, yeah. Like we, and you guys, for some reason. <laughs> I talked to Mike during the Trigger Live drive yeah. before you came. Because he was literally right next to me. Yeah. So, like, it would be weird not to talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> and 
but like the entire Friday, we were in all many of the same rooms. Yeah. Like, yeah. like we just did not get a chance to say hi to him before he left. He was yeah. like very quick out the door. Yeah. And you know, so he didn't really say hi to us either. So it's like, oh, we gotta really reach out to him. I, I managed to say hi to him. Uh, as he was, we were both in the, you know, quarry panel. So, you know, as you were leaving, we were kind of walking out uh, by each other. So, I said I didn't tell him, like, you know, first, yeah, I said, move my nine. And then he was like, yeah. But, you know, the, then he gave me a little bit of a complaint sober the one day I was meeting too loud and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad I was able to, like, properly say, uh, you know, uh, hi to Mike and talk to him a little bit. After seeing each other. You know, that's the thing that causes, it's like, you're in the same room with a lot of people, but you don't realize it until after, and it's like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. I could have said hi. You know, actually, after Dempa, uh, you know, I actually got said hi to Megan, uh, and, you know, was wanted to chat with her. I wanted to chat with Ed, and a lot of people are just, like, waiting outside the room after the panel, and just chatting, but my boss uh, at the foundation I work at called me, and I got caught up in a half-an-hour phone call. And of course, by the time that ended, everyone had dispersed. So that was an uh, unfortunate missed opportunity for me there to just say hello to a lot of people. And in general, of course, you miss a lot of people because uh, so many panels were stacked right against each other. Yeah, like Dampa was up against this big old retrospective panel I really wanted to go to, uh, and you know I wanted to see at least one of Steve Bloom's panels. But they were always against something else, or I was in a completely different space and just felt, oh, okay, I might as well just stay in the needle and try to go back to get to that panel. Yeah, I, I wanted to say hi to Steve, too. Steve is such a nice guy. Yeah. And yeah. His, he and Bill Bonesley's telling panel, I really wanted to just check that out, obviously. But, oh, well. I mean, Steve and Bo are at a lot of panels frequently, so there will be more opportunities. But, yeah, we'll see them around. Yeah. And I also want to give a shout out to Kyrie, who is from Scanline Podcast and Media. I met them uh, while I was talking with Rye, also as I was for Kyle, and they were very nice uh, and helpful in giving me advice what to do with my, you know, charging snafu situation. So they were really cool. And also shout outs to Matt from Overmonkast, who actually found and reached out to us like after the. Trigger Q and A panel saying they noticed uh, us and who and it's like oh oh thank you so that was cool that was that was cool always cool to like just meet up with and I uh, get to chat with people you know from online mm-hmm. in a physical space even if it's just for a week but but I think that covers almost everything I guess my one final note is just a question for you Weird, of how you felt like press optimizations for this year you know just the process of like checking in at West Overlook and then walking over to the press lounge, so see, still hold up for the interviews, you know. I was pretty chill about it. I mean, like, what I realized is, like, I think what happens is that they don't do all the interviews in the sofa of cops. Yeah. So it's, it's mainly just a check-in system to make sure you're there, and then yeah. you go up. Like, today, I was on the third floor for my interview oh. with Watanabe. So they have, like, different press rooms up there as well, I think. Cool. So yeah, I mean, I think it was a good process. I had no issues with press ops at all. In fact, they're very friendly. And I feel like the interview system this year has been very organized. I think last year, there was a lot of issues where a lot of uh, guests didn't feel comfortable doing interviews and then had initially been yeah. accepted to do them. But then they decided to back out last minute just because right. like, COVID is you tricky. You got so many cancellations last year. Yeah, all the ones you wanted to get canceled. Uh, this year, I had no issues with that. I mean, they had 
far more stricter protocols in place for what to do. Like, no handshakes, you're six feet apart at all times, unless, like, the guest is, like, willing to do something, like, yeah. trading business cards or something. No, I mean, it's very reasonable stuff. It's, like, just yeah. professional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I had no issues with that. That was pretty chill. Yeah. I pretty much concur with you. Like, I didn't know what to expect, but, like, the system made sense to me. It was pretty quick and easy. And I appreciate that they were very communicative throughout the whole process and very helpful. Like, they would give you these, like, call phone calls, 15 minutes more, to make sure you were on your way and checking in. And also, you know, you were given contact information of your interpreter to, you know, reach out and send their questions. I don't think their questions were, like, screened for trigger, but they were read uh, by the interpreter, George, for... For Akawa, and he gave me some good advice on them that I really appreciated about how to like streamline them, shorten them. So, yeah, no, I appreciate them being very communicative, uh, you know, being very helpful throughout the process. Yeah, I'm very, very, very I would definitely conduct interviews at Otakon again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I was actually feeling, oh man, I wish I had signed up to conduct even more interviews because, you know, I. I did enjoy the process, even though I had, like, some feeling of missed opportunity and how uh, they were executed on my part. I think the one part that really stuck out to me, too, was triggered the fact that they did a proper round-robin group interview, which sounds like a bare minimum for a group interview, but I've had group interviews that say Anime NYC, where it's literally just disorganized. Grab bag, whoever speaks first uh, and can get a word in. So. There, there was one exception to that in the NYC, and that was Volfon, but that was like mainly moderated yeah, by Kodansha. For me, it was Tomino. Tomino was handled that way. But the yeah. voice actors, the English voice actors. Oh, like, that, that was a free yeah. for all mess. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. no, very well run interview system. And just generally really communicative and helpful press relations. Yeah, I mean, even if Sakaki's not near DC in the near future, <laughs> I would still go to this con. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that brings us to final thoughts and how we felt on our Otakon experiences here overall. <laughs> first. Okay. Um, again, I liked it. Uh, I felt like it was more organized than the Anime NYC. This is also my second Otakon, but I haven't been here since 2018. I don't remember that one at all. <laughs> Who was here that year? There's somebody. Was it uh, Furia? Furia? No, oh, that no. was Furia was 2019. No, that was 2019. Yeah, I also had trouble getting these autographs, so. though. Yeah. I swear there was somebody here. I remember who it was, so. Oh, uh, Nobutoshi Kana. Oh, it was Kana, right! Because I, I asked him a question about. I also got his signature song. It's a little smudged now because it was humid that year. Anyway, um. Yeah, so there was. My last one was 2018. I mean, with everything going on, it, uh. For how they handled it, it was pretty good. I would probably come back again sometime next year. Year after that, I don't know. If I can't do it next year, then definitely the year after that. We'll see where I am by then. But yeah, I, I would definitely come back. Otakon's like, uh, especially with Discotech Day, it's. They usually do pretty well, like, scheduling and like, getting guests in, too. So it's. Like, they usually have like, a good amount to do here. 
even if there's like people that you don't really know, you can always go to the dealer's room, the artist alley, and they or like they have like just some panels that just sound interesting, like like the Miyazaki panel. There was a there was actually a Phantom Thief panel yeah. that I didn't stay for. Like I went in there for a few minutes and then I forget what happened. I had to leave for a second and then I ended up going to. But, I mean, like, it sounded interesting. I, I would have stayed if I could. Yeah, like, Otakon's, like, big enough that you can find something to do, even if there's, like, nobody that you really know there. But, yeah, i I definitely come back. Awesome. And it's like, how about you? I mean, I've been going to the concerts. I think, I, I, yeah, 2019 has been a year, then. But that was way back when they were Baltimore. I mean, you know, it's like, not a secret that I will. <laughs> but, but um yeah, going to the con itself was a lot of fun. I hope that you guys can keep coming back. You know, I, I again haven't made it, haven't kept it secret that I like to move. But even if it's a thing that instead of being able to come here and stay at my house, you just are able to. We just have to get a hotel together. I was like, I'm just again just shocked at how much better the guest quality is in Otacom versus CRX because you think that they get the best guests? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, I, I'm not at a point where I feel like regret going to CRX because I've wanted to for a while. So even if this one greatest, at least I can say I experienced it. But I'm really happy that mostly that we, we had this Otacon and, you know, being able to meet, like, so many people, you know, I... No other, I mean, I'm sure eventually I wouldn't mind being went to a con where Kurukawa went to or something, but the fact that an Issei went to. But yeah, just the amount of guests. Like, normally I'd only go to cons to just hang out the, the, the dealer's note for the most part, but this year I actually felt like, yeah, I'm actually glad I went to any of the, any of the panels I went to. There wasn't any of them that I was just kind of like, uh, I haven't done this. Yeah. So, definitely, and people know their stuff. Even last year, too. But, yeah, I would definitely hope that, not just that I would keep going to the concert weekend. Yeah. Very, very good. And, you know? Yeah, I mean, I kind of already said my thoughts, but I feel very happy about Ocon. I think I enjoyed it even more than last mm-hmm. year. Disco day, uh, disco tech day. I can't yeah. talk anymore. Yeah. <laughs> disco dick, though. Oh. Disco oh. Dick. I said disco deck. I think, but yeah, <laughs> disco tech day is still hype. And yeah, I think from a press side, it was also very organized. So I'm very happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I would concur with all of your sentiments about the con being extremely well run and extremely eventful with a lot of exciting guests and a lot of great people to meet, great fan-run panels and programming, great industry panels and programming. I guess one note to mention is that I said that Denpa might not come back in the future because he's upset with the way the con is handled. He said they wouldn't come back as a as a vendor. I mean, he didn't have like a boot in the dealer's room yeah. this year, but he, yeah. he but he also said that he'd come back if invited to present, but he would not go out of his way to come back. Right, that's what he said. So that's so that's an interesting comment. I don't know what's going on that. From my perspective, though, again, for all the reasons we observed. There's just so much to do at Otakon. Uh, there's so much to see, so many great opportunities to meet great 
voice actors or people who are working in the person side of the animation industry. And again, like some of the best of the best, like people in the anime Twitter space present panels there, like Megan, like the Anime World Order crew, like and Corey and Helen. So their their events are always so fun to attend and catch. You know, there's a great A and B side to it. There's a great cosplay side to it. There's concerts. There's just so much to do with the con. Like, you know, you can even just stop in that manga library and they have, like, volumes of hidden gems that you just spend your time absorbed in reading. Uh, you can go to the makerspace and make your own little origami fan, like lanterns or all whatever arts and crafts of the day. That seems so cool. <laughs> if I had, like, the downtime, I definitely would have made my own because that seems so it's just a lot to do, so and it's really well organized, and it's, so it's a great space to be in and feel a part of. So yeah, I, I hardly was very impressed by Otakon again this year, and thought that it was just run even better than last year. I think my personal experience may be tempered a little bit by the missed opportunities and misgivings I had because of just personal things for me. But I would say the con itself was even better run than last year, even more eventful and more exciting. And I am very, very much looking forward to seeing how it continues to grow and evolve. And I would definitely love to come back in future years as press if they'll have us. And yeah, I love these future opportunities to continue to explore and be immersed in the space. I think it's a fantastic con. One of the best that we have attended, just in terms of organization and just everything that it offers. So, again, another hearty recommendation from us at the Manga Mavericks team, I would say. And with that, I think that, you know, not to let that literal rain in our parade uh, and this podcast, but no, I, I think that we have said, like, everything we have to say about Otakon this year and Hopefully we'll have even more to say about uh, Otakon next year, or just uh, a lot to say about Otakon next year. So, if we come back, and yeah, like, or in general about any con we attend, I think we're all going to still plan to go to ANYC, so... So, hopefully you'll hear us talk about that in the future, too. Uh, All the future cons, we can be delighted to just hang out together and just have a good time, uh, all of us friends, just talking about all these cons we're going to. And just hanging out at. But until then, I mean, let's let folks know where they can find us uh, to check in on us and what we're doing, and also follow us for any potential future con coverage and uh, all the treads and thoughts on those that we be posting out there. So yeah, who wants to start off here, Jekka? Um, <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Jekka. That's J E C K A ten twenty one. I tweet out some bangers once in a while. Um, <laughs> other than that, I, I've i not been using Twitter as often as I have, but I mean, uh, I mean, maybe that's a good thing. Usually you can find me on the internet, though. I, I also have a YouTube channel that I haven't really uploaded in a while. I have been re-uploading AMVs that TMS blocked back in 2016, though. Minus one. I don't know if I'm going to Reupload that one. I might. I haven't decided yet. Anyway, if you want to check out those AMVs, you can find me at the 
same thing, uh, youtube.com slash checkout1021. I think that's how the website works, right? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, uh, if, if you want to follow me, go ahead. If not, don't worry about it. You can probably find me through these other people, too. I sometimes, I guess, star on other podcasts, and other than that, you can usually just find me anywhere, and, like, if you ever message me, I can usually get back to you. Eventually. Alright, oh, so, well, you can find me at Von K-I-I-R-O-B-O-N on Twitter. I also, I make bangers probably way less than she does. <laughs> um, really, I'm just reading manga there, so, talk about, lately I've been playing way more video games, which is nice. The real fun is at, at WSS Talkback on Twitter, where actually Jack does contribute this time. That happened in a while, but. Not recently, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going to get back to that. Eventually. Moment. Yeah. Soon, Tia. We'll get back to that whole it's about Shonen Sunday and all the stuff that it is it just Conan or Takahashi not that they're bad but variety in our diets <laughs> and you can also check out wsstalkback.blogspot.com which is where we have our reviews which you can, you can check out some checks for there reviews translations of interviews and stuff like that you can definitely check those out there our most recent thing is our collaboration with the Weekly Shonen Jump Twitter unofficial Gosha Aoyama and a Oda um, enter a crosstalk, and that's the most recent thing there, and it's exploded, pretty understandably. It was pretty fun to translate, and pretty fun to work with the Shonen Jump Twitter. They're actually really nice people. Besides that, I write for Toonami Faithful, which I'll probably be doing something, a write-up of this for them, so that'll be my first time writing something for them in a while, so definitely check that out. Um, and I'm also on a podcast with our good buddy Colton, which is Another DB pod. <laughs> another day, another adventure where basically if Goku's in it and it's animated, we'll probably talk about it. And this is probably the pact that we've signed with the DB devil that we'll be doing forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it's a lot of fun. Like, out of all the podcasts I do, I mean, they're all fun, but this one is definitely, I really enjoy talking about it. We're currently talking about Dragon Ball. Although we did record a recent episode about the fan animation, DB Legend. Yeah. Yes. We did do something about that. I'm not sure when the one released. It's already released. Oh, it's already released for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, a couple weeks. Which one? Yeah. A DB Legend. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard it. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, so it's out. So definitely check that out. So that was, uh, I wasn't expecting much out of that, but I had a lot of fun. It's definitely good that was. I, I could go on to the other podcast. Yeah. First of all, I love how Sakaki had to have an image up on another DB phone. Oh. Yeah, because I like, I mean, yeah, I like to get things right. I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, anyways, you can find me on Twitter at VLORGTZ, and then I write various manga and light novel reviews for mangamavericks.com and editorials for TommyPayPal.com. Check out that stuff over there. And then I do a bunch of podcasts. The big boy is the Demon Slayer podcast at D Slayer Podcast on Twitter. That is focused on the Demon Slayer anime and manga. So if you like Demon Slayer, check that out. Then I do a bunch of other podcasts. The Dumb Weebs podcast, the Dumb Weebs pod, Saturday Night Chagi at Sat Night Chagi, and Oversoul Shaman King podcast at Shaman King Pod. And you can hear the lovely Sakaki. <laughs> On the Demon Slayer, Oversoul, and Sat Night Chucky. I've been on Demon 
<laughs> yeah, you haven't, but Sat Night Shoggy. They were the years? Yeah, no, years. I think the last thing I was on was like it was like last year, I think. Well, yeah. yeah, so uh-huh. it's been a while. Yeah. We'll have you on again eventually. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I feel like SNS is the main focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. That's the show I'd like to Yeah. Go, go listen to Saturday Night Shoggy. It's really good. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. I think so. <laughs> but yeah, that's about it. Nice. And as for me, you can find me at Love Romayasha on Twitter. So I'm going to have a variety of places like Amateur Relation, Annie List, Letterboxd, Twitter. So I'm You can find me there by that name. And you can follow my writing on manga, my reviews on manga.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews planned to go out. So look forward to more on there. You know, we're behind, but we still are planning to write a lot more. And of course, that's also where you can find our hosted interviews, our written up interviews on there. So look forward to those coming out, if not already out by the time we finish this podcast. And also on the website is where you can find the Mongrels podcast. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at MongoDescribedMavericks, Tumblr, MongoDescribedMavericks.com, every podcast platform app you can think of, by Stitcher, you name it, we are on it. And if you want to support the show, you can follow us on Patreon, and you can go to Patreon.com slash MongoMavericks, and yeah, I would really appreciate if you guys could show us some support to help us continue producing all the great content we're doing and we have uh, great tiers like at the street down here you get early access episodes with another day in our adventure uh two dollars here early access to uh, basically our general episodes when they're done early or one squad episodes when they're done early uh, one squad episodes when they're done like months early so before we go public so definitely look to that and on our far over here is where we have our monthly bonus podcast where we have like series like Reasters of St. Seiya, uh, George's Adventure, or discussions of movies, or one-offs on your short the jump series and stuff, so you can look forward to a lot of great content on there as well as the product here. And again, every bit of support really goes a long way in helping us out. And, you know, I mentioned Lone Spot before, but Lone Spot is our podcast devoted to your Yatra, and it's getting the wonderful Michael series, and with the new announcement of the Yurziatsu Blu-rays and the new anime coming this fall. Uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about on that show, so you can look forward to a lot of Yurziatsu discussion. Me, NAC, my co-host have a lot of plans, so definitely look forward to more episodes, uh, talking about everything and anything Yurziatsu. Follow us on Twitter at Squad, and you can find our YouTube channel YouTube.se slash SongSquad, or you can search for it in search bar. Actually, you can also search for Manga Arts YouTube channel in the search bar as well. And Squad is also available every podcast platform you can get up on Stitcher and Anchor, also cross-posts. We have mentioned early post episodes early on the Monarchs Patreon. And also to touch upon like the art I do for our shows, I draw you know the illustrations we use on our podcast, so you can find my art on uh, my Instagram, and set artworks. And, uh, can you believe it? Uh, we ought to get going here, you know, but we accomplished a great thing. And so I think it is time to con it for this evening. <laughs> Sayonara, everybody. Later. Uh, bye.